Canucks Central Saturday. Saturday, yes. Happy Canada Day. It's signing season here on Canucks Central as uh, we'll take you through until 1 o'clock. It's Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah in the Kintech studio. And we do have some breaking news the Vancouver Canucks. Not only have they signed Teddy Bluger and Ian Cole, Elliot Friedman just tweeting out a three-year, $3.25 million average annual value for Carson Soucy to the Vancouver Canucks. So the remodeling of the Canucks defense is essentially here, Sat. Um, the Canucks have Quinn Hughes, and they've got still Tyler Myers they move out Oliver Ekman Larson with the buyout and now they've added Philip Peronic, Carson Soucy and Ian Cole to the organization over the last number of months and two big free agent signings today and Ian Cole and Carson Soucy yeah and you know they round out their defense yep and I, you know what like the Soucy contract is a bit of a risk with it, 3.25. It's three years. But when that's the only risky contract you're signing today, and mm-hmm. it's still somewhat measured for a player who has size, has good defensively, has good PK numbers, I'm still skeptical about how high the lineup he can play. But I can see why you're projecting him to be able to do that. And then you have Cole at one year, $3 million, which is imminently fair for a guy who is still one of the better defensive defensemen in the league, good on the PK, and knows how to play a strong role. And I think he his overall game, even despite the fact he's 34, has been underrated. So I think now the Canucks defense is far more functional than it's been in, in many years. It may not be complete yep. in terms of the work they're doing on this roster, and we'll see what else they get done on the back end. But right now, you can look at the team and say you have Hughes and Susie, Cole Heronik, Wolan and Myers. Looks a bit better than what you've had the past couple of years. It does. And, uh, you know, they've, they've done a good job of sort of finding things that they need to add, you know, finding those yeah. uh, areas that have been lacking on their back end. You know, we talked about this. The fit with OEL was always a bit awkward, even from day one. It's like, yeah, OEL, great. He's also like an offensively inclined player that's not great on the penalty kill, and that showed over the last couple mm-hmm. of years because he had to be more of a penalty kill shutdown guy rather than the guy he'd been for most of his career. And he was already into the declining phase of his career. Now you don't have to. Like, you've added Ian Cole and Carson Soucy on the left side. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to rely on Quinn Hughes in a big PK role anymore. Yeah. So is he going to have to play 26, 27, 28 minutes a night on a regular basis? No. You, you've taken some of those responsibilities, and in theory, you get a better Quinn Hughes for the five-on-five and power play minutes and a more efficient way of using your number one defenseman and maximizing his best abilities on the ice. That's been the entire focus of this offseason, it feels like, is finding players that are more functional for what we need to fill in some of the gaps that you know, have lacked on this roster. Yeah, and it's attacking deficiencies on the roster a lot more strategically, and every single one of these players does fit a real need here, mm-hmm. right? And I think that's the that's the thing you're alluding to, and I think you're right about it. The question, I think, more than anything is, which one of these guys is going to be a difference maker? 
because now you're plugging holes and that's good like you plug holes to your point you become more of a functional hockey team and you're at a spot now where you shouldn't have as many deficiencies but in terms of taking a step forward in terms of being a team that pushes the pace they need the bet they're making on Susie to come through yeah because if Susie can be a top four defenseman because I think for one year Cole can give you that yeah. but it's one year and he's 34 he's not a long-term solution if Susie's a long-term solution, that puts you in a good spot. So I think as much as we're applauding these things, it has to be one of these guys, Susie especially because you're paying him now, you have to make you have to be right on that bet. Yeah. Because if he can give you top four minutes at 3.25 and you solve that issue for, for three years, yeah, you buy time for one of your defensemen to emerge, whether mm-hmm. that's DPD, you know, uh, Elias Pedersen or Willander coming in in a few years. You buy yourself some time for that internal guy to come through. That has to happen, I think. So as yeah. much as you know, it's it's great and, and this and that. They got to be right on this player because mm-hmm. if they are, now we can start talking about. They've solved big things. We talk about what are the big holes they need to solve. It's a third line center. Yep. It's two defensemen in the top four, yep. and also another player that can impact the game on the wing at some point. Yeah. For them to become a team that's a real contender, right? You're plugging some holes. You need some guys to really make a difference as well here. So, uh, again, uh, the Canucks, according to Elliot Friedman, have signed Carson Soucy to a three-year, $3.25 million deal. So that is $9.75 on the total value of the contract. It's a hair short of what Justin Hall got from the Detroit Red Wings earlier today. He's got to $10.2 million. Radko Gudis getting $4 million per year on a three-year deal, so $12 million total with the Anaheim Ducks. That's the right-shot D market. You're paying a little bit of a premium for those right-shot D, and Carson Soucy getting 3.25 on the average annual value with the Vancouver Canucks. It's the one. Okay, so before we move on, I, yeah. I want to say, so before they signed um, Bluger, the mm-hmm. Canucks were in on uh, JT Confer. JT Confer. I don't think necessarily gone, mm-hmm. but now Vancouver needs to clear cap in order to do something like that. Do a more significant move because now Vancouver is actually into LTIR with yeah. these signings. So there may be more coming from Vancouver, but if they're going to make another big addition, it's going to have to be a trade first. It opens up that space. But I also think they're still looking at a couple of wings as well. So I don't think it's just, hey, Susie, and now yeah. it's done. Like, I, I think I still think Vancouver's active here. So for the next few hours, don't be surprised to see more movement from Vancouver. On the uh, on the cheaper side of things, on the wings. Yes. I, I think what they want to do, if they have their way here, is they've been linked to a Max Comtois type. They've spoken quite a bit about getting the Dakota Joshua types, which are guys making anywhere from 775 league men to 850, 900K. I think they have their eyes on a couple players like that. Comtois is a player. The question with him is, does he get a bit more because mm-hmm. of his profile? And does somebody throw a bit more money at him? I don't think they want to be paying one and a half or anything for those guys. But I do think they want to bring a winger or two in if they can. That can bring that physicality, the forechecking, the speed, that type of look to compete for spots. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox if you want to get in on the conversation. Canucks making... Three signings so far on signing season, Carson Soucy and Ian Cole on defense and Teddy Bluger. You know, the, the thing about this, okay, so Teddy, if it's hard to knock one-year deals, right? I, I've said it in the past. There's no such thing as a bad one-year deal. Yeah. Because they are infinitely easier to get out of. 
You know, let's say the season goes haywire again for the Vancouver Canucks. Guess what? You can move on from Teddy Bluger mm-hmm. and Ian Cole as you get closer to the trade deadline. Somebody's going to take those players on for mid-round picks, whatever, and it's just it. You know, you wipe your hands of it and move on, move forward, try to find something different after that. Three-year deal for Carson Soucy. It's a little rich for a player with his profile, a guy who's never averaged more than 17 minutes mm-hmm. per game in any season of his career. Now, his role has certainly grown. You know, he was a fifth-round pick, late bloomer, a guy that's you know, certainly had a bigger role in each of his last couple of seasons and is now trying to parlay this into an even bigger role here in Vancouver, and the contract certainly suggests that it will be. But it's not something completely onerous mm-hmm. for the Vancouver Canucks. At least it doesn't look like that sitting here today. What I will say is... This is with an eye of helping this team prevent goals, and they're clearly more of a top six, bottom six in their forward group. And my worry about Teddy Bluger and Nils Oman being your third and fourth line centers is if you're not getting offense from your top two lines, how are your bottom two lines driving any sort of offense with those two players, with those two centermen, Teddy Bluger and Nils Oman. Like, Teddy Bluger doesn't score at all. He scores less than Nils Oman. Yeah, but Garland hasn't gone anywhere. Yeah. So as long as Connor Garland is here, isn't he playing on the third line? Isn't he your offensive player? Yeah. So I think as long as Garland is here, do you have to go and add an offensive guy for that line? Mm-hmm. He's going to be the guy there. Like, yeah. well, otherwise, what are you paying Garland for? I think the only reason you would go for more of a offensive player in your bottom six is if you can move a guy out. Right. Because, I mean, what's the point of bringing somebody in who's going to play the Garland role. Do you want to play Garland on the fourth line? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I'm just I, I trying think... to forecast like what issues might pop up with this. Oh uh, yeah. Because you know, like for sure, but these aren't players that score a ton. They are players that are signed more for the defensive side of the game and fixing that area of the ice for the Vancouver Canucks. It's about what you put on. Like it's how you craft your lines. Yes. Sheldon Dries is still on this team. You want to, you want a guy that can give you a little bit of offense on the wing somewhere. You can throw him on yeah. the team in the bottom six. Like for me, it's not so much about, um, who else you add to the team is about subtracting. If you want an offensive player in the bottom six, you got to get rid of somebody. Mm-hmm. That's just the reality of it, right? And if you are looking for a little bit of offensive flair from, from a wing, why not see if Hoaglander can play a spot there? Right. You know what I mean? So I think if you're looking at the wing, it's still going to be somebody that, that provides a bit more sandpaper potentially here. But I think if they keep Garland, you can have him as being the creator and creative player on that line with a guy like Bluger down the middle. Um, let's get to some of your reaction here on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. How many Spros have you had to have? I mean, we're we're deep into the Spro game already. Uh, over the three and a half that you've suggested on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Um, this one from Tim and Van, a question. Do you guys think it's possible that now with bringing in two defensemen, they might pull the trigger on that Myers to San Jose deal that Frank Saravalli was speculating. I think it depends on whether they can do something else. Right. If they feel like, so they're still not that deep on the right side, right? Like you have Hronick, you've got Myers and then Juleson. Yeah. And we saw what the righties went for. Justin Hole got paid more than Susie got paid. Yes. And he's nowhere near. I mean, I think Susie's the better player than Justin Hole. Justin Hole had a really tough finish to the season. And he's th- it was really poor in the And playoffs. he's 31, but he's a righty. Carter yeah. Clifton, righty, who's 5'11". He's feisty, but he's 5'11". got 3.3 over 3. Yeah. Way more than Susie got, right? So Susie, all of a sudden, compared to these other guys that are righties, 
he got paid less. He can play the right side despite being a lefty, but it shows you how what the market was. Gudas got four million per year yeah. over three years. He's in his thirties. You're talking you're paying, about you're paying the premium for the right shot D. Shen two point seven five. Yeah. I mean it, the righty D's just got absolutely. Even Cal Burroughs got three years one point one. God bless him by yeah. the way for, for for getting that great contract. deal for Burroughs. Great for him. But you see what the market's been for righties. I think Vancouver probably felt like instead of overpaying for a righty, why not just pay for better functional defensemen who can play for us? And that and how that relates to Myers is, does it not show you that Myers, there's a market around him? Now with the bonus, everything is dicey. Five million has to get paid out. But it's the same thing we said with Myers since day one. Why are you trading him if you know you can trade him in a couple of months or a few months and get something back in return and give up take back nothing right now. Yeah. So unless Vancouver feels like they have something that they have to jump on, I don't think they're moving Myers because especially with the value for defensemen. So Myers at $3 million and a $1 million and a 500 k in terms of actual money to him, what, what's that going to be worth? Yeah. Myers next year as a free agent is getting at least $3 million. Mm-hmm. At least. The market is it's, already set for him. Exactly. He's getting at least $3 million next yeah. year no matter what happens. And the cap's much, right? going up, so... You know, so, he's right? getting between three and four million. So Myers at a three million dollar cap hit, he's worth at least like probably a second round pick at the deadline. Mm-hmm. So if Vancouver's trading him now and not using him as an asset at some point. I would imagine the type of deal for them if San Jose has a deal on the table would be like him for Shimmick, right? Yeah. Shimmick makes two point two five million. You take the money off six, that's 3.75. They may view it as, yeah, we get this guy for free, pay him 3.75, and then we flip him for a draft pick later. That's the that's the way, I guess, San Jose would view it as. Yes. For Vancouver, if you're going to forego that type of asset at some point and only get $4 million in cap relief or 3.75 in cap relief, you have to have something enticing to make you walk away from that. Um, there's... A lot that uh, could be on the table still for the Vancouver Canucks. They can finagle with a little bit more cap space as they spend into LTIR, but they have spent quite a bit of it. Yesterday on the show, we sort of detailed how much they can work with, and you can maybe push it up to $11 million if you go into all of the LTIR with Tanner Pearson and Tucker Pullman. But it's... Certainly now with the contracts they've signed today, they've spent a little bit of it and moving money out would be a way that they add some more in. And that's Tyler Myers, Connor Garland, the names we've talked about a ton. Uh, Sean from North Van, any chance the Canucks could put a package together for Brett Pesha? And Carolina is a really interesting team now. If you talk about defense, just because they signed Dmitry Orlov to a two-year deal, they have Brady Shea and they have Brett Pesce on expiring contracts going into next year. They're not a team that tends to overspend on retaining guys with the Orlov deal. They said, okay, we'll give you the big average annual value, but we are also not giving you big term. So could one of those players be on the block because now all of a sudden in Carolina you have Brent Burns, you've got um, Jakob Slavin, you've got Dmitry Orlov, Brady Shea, and Brett Pesce. That's uh, it's kind of a loaded back end that they've got there. So wondering what might happen. The speculation has been Brett Pesce could get traded here in the next little while. So we'll see about that with Carolina. Yeah, I think with, with Pesce, it's just... Are you making that deal without giving up a future first-round pick? Cost is prohibitive, and you're going to have a big ticket probably at least projected right now for um, Philip Heronik. Yeah, now, so I think Vancouver was in on Severson. 
So yeah. I don't think they're against adding a big ticket on the blue line. Right. But they just gave Susie three years. Mm-hmm. Pesce gets paid after next season. Yeah. There is, the cap is going up and everything. I guess you can look at it and say that rounds out your defense all of a sudden now. I think the investment may have been different if they could have got Pesce. It's a first-round pick plus a prospect plus something else. And even so, the, thing with, the question with Pesce is, if he's he willing to sign right now? Because if he's not and he wants to play the year out, so the Canucks have made their big bets so far today, and Carson Soucy is the biggest one of them all. You know, we talked about Seattle, and, you know, they had a poor penalty kill. But if you look at Carson Soucy's numbers on the penalty kill, it seems as though Seattle's penalty kill troubles were not because of Carson Soucy himself. They were better when Carson Soucy was on the ice for them. This is the biggest reason they were chasing Carson Soucy. They wanted more players that Mm -hmm. can do the penalty kill thing. The question mark is how much more can Soucy give as a guy that's mainly been a 16-minute guy through his career. But the focus on the penalty kill, as we sit here today, Sat, there are and, and with the signings they've made today, there is no reason why the Canucks should have the worst penalty kill in the league again going into next year. No, I mean, number one, because of how they're trying to play as a team, especially with the emphasis on coaching and details, that alone, even with the same personnel, this shouldn't be in the bottom quarter of the league. But based also on the personnel they have now, this should at the very least be in the midpoint. Yeah. This should be like, you know, anywhere at the very least from like 14 to 16, 17, which is you can survive with that. Yeah. Can they turn into a top 10 PK? That's going to also be predicated on huge improvements by guys currently on the roster as well. Yeah. You know, Bluger, Susie, and Cole aren't all of a sudden going to turn your PK into a top five PK in the league. There has to be internal growth too in how they play their systems and how they improve overall. But now you have players who are professional penalty killers. Yeah. They know how to PK properly. They know which lane to put their stick in, right? They know understand their the reads properly. And I think that does make a big difference. And willing shot blockers as well. Yes. And I think, you know, Ian Cole is one of the more underrated defensive players in the league and has been like, he's really good defensively on the PK. The one thing I will say about him though, um, and this is going to be funny during the season. And, and remember, I told you this on July 1st, he takes lots of penalties, but that's because he's a very crafty defender mm-hmm. and he does a lot of things he gets away with as well, but he takes lots of penalties. So he's going to be a guy that's going to drive a lot of people crazy next year. Be like, mm-hmm. why is, why is Cole taking another penalty? But think of it as for every penalty he takes, probably gets away with a lot that doesn't get called. And with how he plays that veteran crafty style of defense, he's very annoying to play against. So there are certain things that aren't great in, in terms of, you know, the penalties and everything. But that's because of how he defends more than anything. You'll take that trade off. Uh, one of the uh, other things that's happened uh, more recently, uh, Colin Delia signed with the Winnipeg Jets. So Deals will no longer be a member of the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, there is some... Or has been some wonder if the Canucks are in the veteran free agent goalie market as they have been in the last couple of years when they signed Spencer Martin. And then last year with Colin Delia, do they uh, look for another veteran goalie to add to this team? Because just my view of it, I don't see them wanting to have Arthur Silovs be the backup for... um, for Thatcher Demko next year and you know uh, do they want to sign somebody else other than 
Spencer Martin? Uh, or is he going to be slated in as the backup? That's something to maybe look out for as uh, free agency continues. Yeah, and I think what they would like to do is get one of those veteran guys pretty cheap, yeah. under a million preferably, and if they can. Because you have Martin from last year, you have Seelovs there, and this was a question we had. Do they want to go with that much inexperience again? Would you prefer to have somebody else who can... You know, be the veteran backup. Yeah, exactly. And who's done it uh, well into their careers. Uh, so something to look at there. The big goalie signing of the day, Jonas Corposalo to the Ottawa Senators on a five-year, $4 million per season average annual value. So that was uh, the one big goalie contract that so far has been signed today. We'll keep taking a look at what else has been signed and what else the Canucks might do and take more of your thoughts here as it is signing season on Sportsnet 650. This is Canucks Central. Signing season coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Kintec is Canada's favorite orthotic and footwear provider. Foot pain, Kintec can help. Find out more at Kintec.net. More coming on Canucks Central. Canuck Central signing season in the Kintec studio and signing season on Sports at 650 is brought to you by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Kintec is Canada's favorite orthotic and footwear provider. Foot pain, Kintec can help. Find out more at Kintec.net. Signing season, the new league year has begun and the Canucks are getting to work fixing some of the very needy areas of their roster. They signed Carson Soucy, just officially announced by Patrick Alvine and the organization. A three-year, $9.75 total value contract uh, for Carson Soucy. And Rick Dollywall just reporting that it is with a no-trade clause for all three years on Carson Soucy as well, so that's something uh, to factor in on the deal. Three years, three point two five per season on Carson Soucy. Ian Cole, one year, three million dollar contract with the Vancouver Canucks. So they add two on to the back end, and then Teddy Bluger, a one year, one point nine million dollar contract. Which of these do you like the most? Six fifty, six fifty on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. That's how you get in touch with the show and. You know, I will say on the on the Teddy Bluger front, Sat, to get it at one year, especially after the David Kampf contract with the the Toronto Maple Leafs, where yeah. he signed four years and two point five million per. There was a wonder if uh, Bluger was going to get you know a decent amount of term and around two million dollars, even though you know he doesn't score much, but profiles really well as a bottom six center. That helps your penalty kill and does a lot of things very well defensively. I think what I like about it most, you know, we knew the Canucks needed a stopgap there at third line center or in their bottom six, however you want to view it with him and Oman. But at least now, like, you know, you have somebody who can do those things that you need for this year, help the penalty kill, win a defensive zone faceoff, and doesn't have to be JT Miller going over there all the time. Mm -hmm. And. It's not a roadblock for Aturatu as he continues 
his development and you hope, you know, after some more time in the AHL and a good off season that maybe he gets closer to being uh, sort of the prospect you hope he can and develop into that third line, third line center of the future for this roster. And Nils Oman, if he continues his development, yeah. like Teddy Bluger doesn't present a roadblock in the lineup for any of the young players they want to develop on this team. No, but I, I would, you're right. And I would say though, as much as they, they like Ratu and Oman, I'm not sure how much internally they're viewing them as truly being the answer. So I think right. what it also does is it maintains your flexibility to address that third line center position in yeah. different ways down the road. So now if something comes along, you don't have a two or three year deal in your bottom six kind of getting in the way of you doing other business. So let's say, for instance, that a trade comes available for Vancouver where they can get a third line center who's young who fits here long term. Mm -hmm. For the rest of the season, Bluger still fits on the team. You can move Olman to wing. He can play wing. He can give you face off help. So I think it also leaves you open to make bigger additions here as not only the season goes on, but also this offseason. It wouldn't shock me, Dan, that we see the team add another center somewhere here. Like, it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Because when you add a Bluger for 1.9 in one year, it doesn't stop you from, from considering other things. Not at all. And he's the type of guy that can play the wing, can easily play on your fourth line, and you can move around your lineup really, really easily without any issues. Well, we talked about yesterday the interest they had in, in Ryan O'Reilly and also JT Confer. And... So far, Confer is unsigned. Ryan O'Reilly today signed with the Nashville Predators, one of the surprise moves just as the free agency window opened up. Four years at $18 million for O'Reilly. That's mm -hmm. you know a little less <laughs> than I thought he was going to get, if I'm personally honest. One of the things I think that is apparent on O'Reilly signing in Nashville is if he was going to go to a Canadian market, you were probably going to have to pay quite a bit more in order to entice him away from signing in Nashville. His preference was to sign in Nashville, or it was one of his top-ranked cities to be end up in. And so Vancouver, Toronto, who are probably offering something in the same range as what he got in Nashville, you know, they would have had to pay significant amount more to land Ryan O'Reilly instead of him going to Nashville. Yeah, I checked in on O'Reilly last night to kind of see where Van was with him. And what I heard was Van wasn't high on, on the list, not because they didn't have the means, Yeah, more about preference. And I don't even if Van went to five times four, mm -hmm. I don't think that would have got it done. I think he was pretty set on going to Nashville when Nashville presented itself, and they would have had to they, blow they him had, out of the yeah, water. They would have know? had to go a significant amount more, like maybe $24, 25000000 million total value yeah. and in order to, to get it done. And to your point, not that he was against playing in Canada, but it wasn't high on his priority list. Like I think a lot of things would have to fall through for him to, for, for him to really consider coming back up north. It's uh, an interesting one there with, with Ryan O'Reilly, but JT Comfort is still out there. We know the Canucks have... Um, at least been in on JT Confer and some of those discussions. Now, given the cap allotment to the three players that they signed, it wouldn't exactly be easy to bring in a player at yeah. five million bucks, which is where we're sort of projecting JT Confer's number to come in at. But do you think that the Canucks could still be interested in JT Confer should a deal materialize? Yeah. Um, I mean, 
I'd say they're still. I'd say they'd still be interested. Mm-hmm. Let's assume for a moment that there is, like we mentioned before, an ability to move off the Myers deal. Even if you move three point seven five million of that contract, mm-hmm. that would give Vancouver with LTIR space about seven point seven million. Now, if you don't want to use all the LTIR space, you could still sign somebody upwards of four to five million and still have a couple million in LTIR space left over. Yeah. So. If that's a possibility, like Frank mentioned, and I don't know if it still is or not, mm-hmm. you know, then that could be the break glass in case of emergency. When I've asked about, because usually a good indication of work being done is when the GM is going to speak pretty soon. Yeah. As far as I know, and I just checked, I just checked in, uh, there, there's no imminent announcement on him speaking soon. So, and based on what I mentioned a bit earlier from what I heard, Vancouver's still working on things. Yeah. So let's see what kind of happens here over the next ne- next couple of hours. Uh, the full breakdown on the Carson Soucy contract uh, per cap friendly, 3.25 over three seasons. So a total value of 9.75. The breakdown in the first year is $2.5 million plus a $1.5 million signing bonus with a full no trade clause. Second year is $3.25 million no signing bonus and a full no trade clause in the final year of the deal 2.5 million all salary 12 team no trade list so there is your full details on the Carson Susie contract with the Vancouver Canucks Owen and Burnaby on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox I like all the signings the Canucks have made now they have legitimate NHL caliber depth and even if they don't pan out, it just gives the team more options down the road, particularly with the cap most likely going up next year. Yeah, I mean, you maintain flexibility, and that is if you're assuming they don't do anything else. Yeah. You know, somebody also texted, why don't they sign Evan Rodriguez? Like I said, I don't think they're completely done mm-hmm. doing business, especially looking around stuff. So I, I'd be careful with assuming that, hey, they're done. This is what the roster looks like and, and all that. So, so let's see kind of what happens here. But... I'd say overall, though, um, having Teddy Bluger and then having the two defensemen mm-hmm. on your defense, like right now I'm just looking at a bit of a depth chart for the team. So you have Mikheyev, Pedersen, Kuzmenko, Garland, Miller, Besser. Yep. Or like, let, let's say Bavillier, Miller, get Besser because of statistically they wouldn't want to put him there. Not typically. Giuseppe? Okay, like we're not. Stop, okay. stop. Okay, and then, uh, <laughs> and then let's say put Colson, Bluger, and Garland. That yeah. kind of looks like your third line at the moment. Then the fourth line, you have PDG, you have Oman, you have Joshua, you have the Studnika types, Dries, yeah. fight out, and who else you kind of add to it. But that's what it looks like right now. And I'd still say on the wing, it doesn't quite look like the team, like a Taka team and yes. how they want to play. And I, and I still wonder. And and honestly, like Bluger can play wing. And even Evan Rodriguez can play wing. So if they add a guy who has a flexibility that can win face-offs, I don't think they're against playing a guy like that on the wing. And even when we spoke to Alvin, one of the things he mentioned was they're not against that flexibility in the bottom six. Yeah. You know, maybe in the top six is hard to find like a credible center that can play wing and you move around or whatever. But can you have a guy on the wing that's really good in the, in the circle or a guy that can play multiple positions for you in that spot? And Bluegers will player like that and they can still add somebody else like that. On the defense, Hughes, Susie, Cole, Horonic, that's your top four. We can talk about how you want to put it together. We can, you know, whatever. But that's Could your be top Cole four. with Hughes and Susie with Hronik. Yeah. We'll see how they end up doing Pretty it. Pretty much. So unless you're pulling off a Pesce deal, yeah. that's kind of going to be your top four defense next season. With Meyer still there, Noah Juleson they just signed. You have Will Lennon on the contract. You mm-hmm. have Breeze on the contract. You have Jack Rathbone on the contract. And you still are going to sign Akito Hirose. 
are they done on defense? Is when you look at it, let's say let's just assume for the moment they keep Myers as well. Yeah. Are you looking to add any more veterans to your defense, or are you pretty happy with going with those guys, considering that you still also have Cole McWard, you have Jet Wu and the minors who they've spoken about and give a new contract to Philip Johansson as well? Mm-hmm. I would say it as it stands right now, it, it looks like they would be done on on defense. Um. Could you add another left shot guy or maybe bring back, maybe there is some form of a uh, compromise with Ethan Bear in which he, he returns on a, on a you know, one-year, very cheap contract? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what the offer the Canucks made to him. I know uh, Dollywell mentioned that they made a low offer or not, one that wasn't uh, worth responding to or whatever uh, the, the term of it was. I also heard it, it wasn't a very significant contract. I think if they add anybody, it's somebody making close to league minimum. Yeah. Maybe 850, you know, and you come, you fight for spots. But I don't see them going out and signing a defenseman making a million, million and a half to be your third pair guy. Yeah. If anybody else comes in, it's going to be, hey, cheap, do you come and vie for a spot? And you battle these guys for, for position. So I, I think on defense, in terms of making free agent signings as veterans that are gonna you can pencil in, I think they're done. Mm-hmm. But don't be surprised if we see a forward sign, though, that you can pen in to the top nine uh david from calgary asking how much money do they have left cap wise after these signings so they've allotted 3.25 with carson susi on the average annual value three three million with um ian cole so that takes you up to 6.25 and then 1.9 with teddy bluger that takes you to 7.15 7.15 of cap space eaten on today's deals. That would leave them ballpark three-ish million if they spend all the way into LTIR right now. But as you mentioned yesterday, Sat, that's not exactly something you want to flirt with right now because you want to have at least a little bit of uh, a buffer zone when you spend into LTIR. Well, yeah, and I think so they have four million in LTIR space. Mm-hmm. So they could spend maybe three of it, maybe three of it. I think if you want to be comfortable, maybe two and a half max. Right. So you don't have a ton. You don't have a ton. So, But you do have enough to, to sign, you know. A uh, veteran goalie, maybe. A veteran goalie. But also, the veteran goalie, I'm a, with, with, the, with, the, um, with the money on the books on Cap Friendly, it's counting an extra forward, which you may as well count as, the back, as Spencer Martin. So if you want to shift the money around, especially if you want to get a goalie, there's maybe slightly more than that left. Because mm-hmm. now Vancouver has $2.5 million for one more roster spot, and that fills out your team at 22. Well, you can go with 23, you can go with 22. So there is a bit more flexibility here for Van to do stuff, but if they're making a significant addition, and I mean a guy making $4 million, money has to go out. They could maybe stretch themselves and sign a guy for $3 million, but that's pretty much as far as they can go today. Uh, disappointing moment for me. There will be no wood in uh, Vancouver as Miles Wood is headed to the Colorado Avalanche, no, that's according fine. to Elliot Friedman. That's fine. Doesn't PK. Doesn't PK. Doesn't win draws. <laughs> and I mean, you know what? Like in terms of the type of winger they want, I'm not against it. Sure, yeah. if you if you could bring him in, like the Comtois guys we talk about, cheap one year, come fight for a spot. I'm all for it. Honestly, I don't yep. care. But if he's getting anything over a million, million and a half, it's just you can't pay. Over a million for a winger on this team. Oh, anymore. I think he's getting between one and a half and two million. Yeah, but I'm, but I'm just saying, even if it's like 1.2 or 1.5, well, you can bury 1.2, but let's say 1.5. You can't be paying that 
for a winger on this team that's going to play in your bottom six, that's yeah. not going to provide any value on the PK for you. No, and you just uh, you've got too many players there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As it stands right now, uh, it you've got too many players there. Um, this text, wow, three of the top four defensemen changed from the opening night roster last year. This is uh, maybe what people wanted to see last offseason, sad, a significant change to what the defense looks like. It obviously didn't materialize last offseason. They had some irons in the fire, yeah. but you know they spent their cap space elsewhere and maybe didn't love a ton of the options that were there available. Uh, now this year, they've really made that change. And once you make the deal for Philip Peronic, now you add a couple of free agents as well in uh, on signing season here today, you've tangibly changed your defense. And finally, you know, Patrick Alvin has put a stamp on this roster with how it looks on D now. You only have two players on the team right now that started last season with the team. And that's Myers and Hughes. Yeah. And if Myers goes, Hughes is going to be the only defenseman in the top six remaining since these guys took over. Uh, let's bring in our next guest. He is the triple threat. It's Ian McIntyre. You see him on television. You hear him here on radio. And you read his wonderful work at sportsnet.ca. What's happening, iMac? Not too much. I'm, I'm kind of envious of the shift change that radio staffing seems to allow with the on-air hosts. <laughs> Because I've been skating around for a while now. I, I'm looking at the bench. There's nobody there. Yeah. Like I'm I'm going to have to just triple shift it today. Just stay out. Yeah, you and Murph. I'll just, uh, be, I'll just be Brewery. I'll stay out as long as I want. Uh, it's, that makes sense. You know, two and a half minute shift. Who cares? You know, who's, who, yeah. who's going to say anything to me? Yes. But uh, let's keep in mind, uh, I, joking as we are, yeah. what we do for a living and what my shift actually is. Compared to what some people's work shift is, I really have no complaints. I never, I, I am never actually as as uh, complacent <laughs> about my good fortune and what I do for a living as what I sound like when I come on radio. Uh, here, here on that. So Canucks make three signings: Carson Soucy, three years, nine point seven five million; Ian Cole, one year, three million dollars; and Teddy Bluger sign on a one-year $1.9 million deal. How do you feel Patrick Alvin has done today so far? Well, I think he's done really well on defense. Uh, I think I think that with the OEL buyout and the Bear injury, neither of which was foreseen when the season ended. And I know what Alvin told us about he didn't intend. So maybe, but maybe they had it as plan B. Maybe, maybe they had calculated all along that they they might be buying out oel but certainly for the rest of us it was a surprise and we we didn't we didn't project this uh when the season ended so when they had uh those two things and and terrible luck awful luck for ethan bear and i said this at the time i just i feel uh, an awful for him because i want guys to go and play for team canada it bothers me when players don't go and play for Team Canada. And here he goes to play for his country, gets hurt. And it ends up having a direct effect on his NHL livelihood because of that surgery and because they failed to negotiate some kind of compromise. He's, he's now UFA, and, and who knows what, what happens there. But the, it, with those two things, OEL and Bear, clearly the defense became the biggest priority. Uh, at the end of the season, they said, uh, 
both Talkit and Alvin, the third line center was the top priority, and that made a lot of sense, and it still does if you think about it. But defense was the biggest thing. And I think what they did in getting uh, uh, Susie and Cole, they got two different kinds of defensemen, mm-hmm. but guys that you know are going to be good for at, at least 18 minutes. And are they really second-pairing guys at this stage? I, I don't know. I mean, Carson Susie can can certainly still get better. He's 27 years old. You know, Cole is 34. But I, I like I like the mix of the two guys, and I like the numbers at which they they are signed. Uh, so then, having spent six million plus there, there really wasn't a whole lot left mm-hmm. uh, for center. So I think I think Bluger is basically a value a value uh, bet. Mind you, maybe every contract is a value bet yeah. uh, to some extent, but I'm I'm not as uh, I'd say there's more risk. There's more of a chance that that Teddy Bluger might disappoint than I think is going to be the case with Cole and Susie. I think those uh, I think that's a reliable pickup for them on defense. And when I say Bluger might disappoint, it's not that he's not uh, a good NHL player. Curtis Lazar was a good NHL player or is a good NHL player. But uh, I think it's going to be, uh, to me on the surface, it seems like a lot to ask that Teddy Bluger is going to be your third line center. Uh, I, I, you know, I, I think he's a good depth guy and maybe he will be a good third line center. I don't know how much production he's going to have, certainly in terms of a defensive profile and, you know, mobility, uh, being able to play on the penalty kill. Uh, I think I think he'll help them, but um, uh, I like I really like what they did on defense to get these these guys for now, especially Cole, just the one year deal, and then you reassess at the end of the year. And if if you need to do more, which probably they do, you've you've made it through this season by with, while upgrading your defense for this season, and then you can look at what else you need to do next year when everybody's going to have more money to spend and we're suddenly going to be in the most explosive inflationary period in NHL history with what guys are, what guys are making. So I think it's been I think it's been a good day for all being o- overall. But uh, you know, just spent eight million dollars. Just spent eight million dollars of of the money that uh, he had available. So it's still a significant outlay. It is. And the risk, though, outside of Susie is limited because they are one year deals. But what you mentioned about Bluger, I think ideally he's a fourth line center on a good team, but he can he can fill that gap for the time being. At least we'll see how effectively he can do it. He has in the past in, in his best year in Pittsburgh. He had uh, what, 28 points in 65 games, played 15 minutes a game, great on the PK and filled the third line role well. So he's done it in the past. Can you do it again? I guess we'll see. But I think it also keeps them flexible here, Ian, to like you mentioned perhaps next year when there is more cap space, but also as a year goes on, if something comes available to them, maybe even during the off season where they can address that position more meaningfully in a trade where they send money out and bring money in, Beluger is not going to get in that way. He can play on your fourth line, can play on the wing if he needs be. I don't think he's going to get in their way if they find a better option, whether that's in a, in a week or in a few months. No, I, I agree with that. I, I, and, and that's the, the importance of a one-year deal. And, and same thing with Cole, because Cole's 34 years old more inclined well he, he is having a drop-off now uh, at this age and and you know how much more he drops off 
you know, that's, that's an unknown as it is for anybody that age. But when, when it's a one-year deal, you're, you're not, you're limiting your risk. And I've, I've said for a while, and, and, and this isn't, you know, rocket science, but it, it's the term that kills you as often as it is the salary on, on these deals or, or any deal. And even if you look at, you know, Antoine Roussel and Jay Beagle, it wasn't that they were paying him $3 million a year. It's that they were paying him $3 million a year for four years. That, that was where they got into trouble uh, on those deals, deals. And even Louis Erickson, you know, the, the six-year deal, it wasn't just that he didn't turn out to be what, he, what anybody hoped he would be. It's, it's that they were stuck with him for that term. Uh, One-year deal, and even, you know, I, I don't have much worry that the Carson Susie deal isn't going to be uh, a worthwhile one for the Canucks to take on. But even if, even if it turns out, you know, he suddenly regresses or, or proves to be strictly a third pairing guy. And now you're paying a third pairing guy, three and a quarter million instead of somebody who's playing on your second pair, you can get through that. Uh, as long as he can play, you can get through that for three years so uh, I think they've they've limited their risk. I would still, uh, at the start of today, and especially after my conversation this week with Patrick Alvine, where he talked about how careful he has to be in free agency, that he's, you know, just because they created this cap flexibility with the OEL buyout, in his words, he can't just jump jump on something in free agency and spend spend all his money he has to, he wanted to he wanted to maintain enough salary cap flexibility that if deals come along after july 1st whether it's a free agent bargain or whether it's a trade and, you, and you're getting you're getting a player at at distressed prices from another team because they have salary cap issues alvin wanted to have and wants to have flexibility so given that if you'd said to me they're going to spend eight million dollars today on three players, I, you know, I I don't know that I would have said that that's that's a good idea. But because they're short-term deals and because they're feeling they filled a need, a distinct need with these three guys, getting two defensemen who can play in the middle of your lineup, and getting a guy who can try to upgrade your third-line center spot. Uh, I think it's I think it's a fair a fair wager by them. But uh, again, they have spent a lot of what they had available. If you you know, it, it all depends on who you you view as a as an NHL roster player or or not. But they they more or less have you know went into today with twelve million eleven and a half twelve million in available space, including LTIR projections. That's with Poolman and Pearson on LTIR. And I think Poolman, I, I think they both will be, uh, although there's there's a chance that Tanner Pearson, I think, can still play. And, and let's hope for his sake he does. Uh, it, this would be a terrible way for his his career to, to end. But, you know, they've spent a good chunk of that flexibility. Uh, I think there's still probably another couple of moves they can they can make. But, you know, this is still a significant commitment by them to these these uh, three players uh, again, though, it's it's a commitment they can live with because the term isn't going to hurt them. 
the uh, latest, Matt Duchesne is going to the Dallas Stars on a one-year, $3 million deal. He was bought out by Nashville yesterday. So uh, they are um, looking at uh, adding to their veteran group and uh, Daniel Sprong to Detroit for $2 million. Um, you know, I'm I know you talked about JT Comfer. We know the Canucks were in on on Ryan O'Reilly as well. They they don't have the available cap space to to do something like that anymore. But but I guess the the wonder is in in you know that are they going to be able to score beyond their their top six? That would be my one concern. It's like okay, now we've we've fixed the penalty kill, hopefully, and uh, now but now we're we're having struggle scoring outside of. Elias Patterson and, and JT Miller. Yeah, well, let's see. Wait, wait and see if they've actually fixed the penalty kill. Yeah. <laughs> um, but well, if they haven't fixed I, I it after these moves today, I mean, then uh, then there's well, some it, real it, issues. At least yeah, somewhat I, fixed I guess, it. I guess I want to know what "fix" means. Like perfect, <laughs> they've improved it. Let's let's say that they, they get they closer to improved. the middle. You know. Yes, they they've improved their penalty kill with what they've done today. I I really don't honestly, Dan. I I don't think scoring is going to be an issue there's going to be you know sure as heck especially now that i just said it there'll be times they'll go five games where they only score seven goals or something and lose a bunch and people will wonder about the offense but the last year and the year before uh, i would say in if you if you listed the problems with this team Scoring goals in both cases would be well uh, down the list. And uh, a quote that resonated with me uh, all season was from this past season was on that first ill-fated road trip, which became kind of a harbinger for what was to come for the Canucks. You know, they started the season on the road and they were scoring goals and losing leads and losing games. And uh, it was Luke Shen, uh, the great Luke Shen. And boy, Congratulations to him today. I, right. I know that I know that a lot of the capologists are going to hate this deal, but uh, I, you know, I really like Luke Shen, and I think this guy has earned whatever somebody was was willing to to pay him today. So I'm happy I'm happy for him. But Luke Shen said clearly scoring is not the problem, and it, it's all about defending, and everything that transpired after that. I just kept coming back to that quote because it proved so true. Scoring is not the problem. It's how they defend, how they play. It's the systems. It's the special teams. It's the penalty kill. It was goaltending when Thatcher Demko was hurt. All kinds of other things other than, boy, there's not enough offensive talent. I think they've got, I got, I, I think they've got plenty of guys who can score. And especially uh, those first two lines, uh, will be able to score, and especially with the power play that they should have again. There's no reason that the power play won't get even a little bit better as as key players like Pedersen and Quinn Hughes get more reps together. I remember Sedin said it, t- it takes years, literally years, for a power play to fully develop. So the power play is going to be a get-out-of-jail card for them in a lot of games. Should be a get-out-of-jail card. I'm not worried about their 5-on-5 five five scoring. No, I'm with you on. I mean, and especially on the special teams, they have to be good on special teams. And if, if five on five scoring is an issue, especially with Heronic and Hughes now, if they play on separate pairs on the back end, that shouldn't be an issue. And if it is, then perhaps there are bigger problems here. And if anything, I think when I look at this team's bottom six, 
I still think they need a bit more pace and a bit more sandpaper, maybe. You know, and I don't, I don't know if they could get to address that, but I think we should expect perhaps Ian over the course of the next little bit, whether that's today or the next few days, for them maybe to sign a few guys in that Dakota Joshua mold to contracts perhaps under a million that can kind of bring that physicality and that forechecking ability. Because I still think they, they want that. Like, I don't think just adding Bluger has created the, the bottom six this team truly wants yet. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, Sad, and, and I think that was one thing that they have, uh, they showed last year that they're willing to do, and even, you know, to to give, um, you know, Benning some credit in his last, I believe it was his last summer where they, because they, they were starting the AHL team, and they went out, and they got a lot of, you know, good in-betweener players uh, they signed in free agency, and most of them ended up in in Abbotsford, but it, it did provide more competition uh, for depth. And I think that uh, the the signings they made at the bottom, towards the bottom of of the lineup, or or guys who might be in the AHL, might be in the NHL. I think that was one of the things that uh, that Alvin and Rutherford got right uh, last summer. And so I, I'd like, I'd actually like to see them do more of that because all as long as you can put put those players full cap hit in the minors uh, without having a, a leftover charge that you're carrying on your NHL salary cap. That's, you know, why not? What, what's the risk? All it costs is money. As long as you have the owners willing to, to have million dollar players in the minors, then why not do it? Because you're increasing, you're increasing your odds. Uh, each time you, each signing you have of a guy like that, you're increasing your odds you're increasing the competition at the bottom of the lineup and maybe you get something out of it. Maybe you don't, you know, Sheldon Dries was a guy who knew that he would end up playing as much as he, as he played last year. You look at some of the guys on defense, like Breezebois had been in the organization a long time, but Christian Willanen hadn't. Noah Juleson hadn't been in the organization for too long. And, and he's going to get a chance, Juleson, uh, this year to play along with those other guys at the NHL level. So, yeah, in, increase your odds by signing some of those guys. And I would say, Sat, not only, not only for your bottom six forwards, sign a couple more of those guys to push on D. You know, Burroughs uh, has gone. Another guy I'm really happy for uh, <clears throat> to get, you know, what he got from the San Jose Sharks. But bring in guys who might help you in a, in a certain way. You know, they, I, I think even with Carson Soucy, there's still a question about toughness on this team, kind of that overt toughness. And I, I don't mean guys who fight. I didn't want them to sign Ryan Reeves for three years. But if you can go get, you know, another defenseman to compete, go get another Burroughs. Like get a, a guy like that to compete at the bottom of the lineup, but bring some toughness that if, you need that in your lineup. You can bring them in. Uh, I, I think I, I think you can go and get guys to compete and push for spots at both bottom of the blue line and bottom of the forward lines. Uh, and uh, on that note, uh, the Canucks just announcing Matt Irwin signed on a one-year, two-way contract. So another uh, veteran D, as you just mentioned, uh, IMAC uh, signing with the uh, the Vancouver Canucks on what I assume is a, a two-way deal and a cheap contract at that. Uh, IMAC, we always appreciate the time and the insights. We'll uh, let you get back out to your uh, long shift. Well, thanks, guys. Nice <laughs> being on with you. Been a while since we chatted. Yep. Nice to have something news to chat yeah. about, not just 
not just uh, vapid conjecture on our part, like yes. it normally is. Uh, so, who they will be trading keep, to open up cash? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Keep up the good work. You as well, iMac. Talk soon. See ya. Uh, there he is. Uh, the triple threat, Ian McIntyre. So Matt Irwin, um, he's a local boy coming back yep. from Victoria, uh, played for the Nanaimo Clippers back in the day and, and uh, played college hockey, obviously, uh, in the U.S. And he's been linked to Vancouver in the past, but has never ended up coming home, so yep. to speak. And now he does come home. And last year he played 61 games for the um uh, Washington Capitals, and he's a guy who can't play PK. He's physical. He's a depth defenseman. Mm-hmm. That's what Matt Urban is. Uh, in his prime, he was a guy that could play the third pair effectively and be physical and help you out and maybe move up if time and if time needed, if need be, and everything. But it makes sense. A guy that's not making a lot, and you're talking close to mid league minimum, come and fight for a spot. Like we mentioned, if you're signing defensemen, they're not going to sign guys over a million to come and you know be pence penned into their bottom six. Yeah, bottom pair. Do you bring guys in cheap to vie for spots? Uh, 35 years old, soon to be uh, 36 later on this year, Matt Irwin. So another depth veteran defenseman for the Vancouver Canucks. And we all know, as you go out through the course of the season, you're going to dip into the 7th, 8th, ninth. 10th defenseman on your depth chart. So uh, Canucks preparing for those sorts of situations, it would seem. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. It is signing season on Canuck Central. Canuck Central signing season in the Kintec studio. Kintec Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintec.net. So the latest with the Vancouver Canucks, uh, they signed the three earlier this morning, Carson Soucy on a three-year deal, Ian Cole and Teddy Bluger each getting one-year deals. And the latest, another defenseman added, uh, BC boy Matt Irwin signing a one-year two-way contract with the Vancouver Canucks as another veteran depth defenseman. He is 35-year-old, has been around the block a few times, and the kind of player you sign as uh, depth with the uh, sort of understanding you're probably going to have to dip into your depth through the course of an 82-game season. And if you want to be a credible playoff team, you need to have Decent depth if you're going to dip into it, Sat. Yeah, and he's very similar to the two guys assigned above him. A defensive D-man, but a depth version of those. Uh, Matt Irwin has always kind of been a third-pair defenseman in the league, a guy who has played that role well and has moved up and down the lineup a little bit, but he's always kind of been a good third-pair defenseman who is solid defensively, uh, understands how to play the game, gives you a little bit of cover on the PK. He's somebody you can throw out there on your third pair and be fine with. Yeah. You can live with it. And I think he comes in, and he's. it makes sense to have that type of guy that, if need be, can play the PK, if need be, can play some minutes for you. And if yeah, Wolanin, Hirose, Rathbone, and these guys show to camp and they're not ready or not good enough, now here's the guy. So I, I'd imagine he makes the team and probably is your seventh defenseman, and he's going to be pushing those youngsters for that third-paired lefty D spot. It's... Uh... It's an interesting one. It's it, it's almost like um, 
it's Brad Hunt, but Brad Hunt was more offensively inclined as a defenseman and filled in on power play two when needed and played a puck moving role in a very sheltered third pair. Irwin is whenever he was on the ice and Irwin is more like I can help on the PK mm -hmm. uh, when whenever you call my name to get into the lineup and it is a two-way deal so there is a chance he just ends up in in Abbotsford as well for the Vancouver Canucks and provides depth down there but you know, I do wonder what it's uh, starting to mean for some of the other uh, defensemen younger defensemen on this roster you know we saw Akito Hirose emerge at the end of the year and you know we've had questions about Jack Rathbone in the past, Sat, and you know the more things start to develop here, the more I wonder where Jack Rathbone's fit is on uh, on the in this organization. And as it stands right now, he is uh, top of the list for guys who needs to have a big summer and find a way to make this roster. Yeah, and and honestly, like if you're good enough, you'll be on the team. Yeah, like honestly, like that's how two, it should work. Yeah. Two different regimes, a few different head coaches. It's you know, yeah. Pee or get off the pot. You know, that's that's kind of what it's like now, right? And I think that's true for a lot of guys, uh, you know, on this roster. And you're getting to a point now where waivers becomes an issue. But so be it. Mm -hmm. If you're good enough, you beat these guys, you'll be on the team. If not, too bad. You move on. You know, like, and I think that's where you're at with these guys. And there's been enough opportunities. I know Rathbone's gone through a lot of things, too, injury-wise. And, and things haven't exactly gone his way. But I, I don't think any of these guys deserve any extra rope. Yeah. You know, it's... You're ready. You can play. Great. And if not, then then whatever. But at least you have some depth that can play some games for you, as you saw at the end of last season. I just kind of look at the Canucks defense now, and the question is really just figuring out whom plays with whom in your top four. So let's just say that the top four remains the way it is. So yeah. you have Susie now. You have um, Cole as well added to yeah. Heronic and Hughes. Would you play Susie with Hughes or would you play Susie with Heronic? Both guys can play the right side. Both are lefties. Yeah. Right now, unless the Canucks do something else, one of those guys is going to be playing the right side in the top four. Unless you're ready to put Myers with Hughes, which I don't think you're going to be doing to start the season. Yeah, no, you're you're not going to do that. We've seen that in the past and it uh, doesn't always bring great results. But the way I would look at it, and when I first thought about it, I probably would have put Ian Cole with Quinn Hughes, but Cole at least has more experience playing in a bigger shutdown role than Carson Soucy has in his career. Yeah. And I believe that's what the Philip Heronic pair is going to be tasked with doing. So I would imagine, you know, if I were to ballpark it today, it's probably Ian Cole and Philip Heronic. And Quinn Hughes playing with Carson Soucy. Ian Cole is the top four defenseman the Canucks have acquired today. Yeah. Carson Soucy is a third pair defenseman who the Canucks are projecting to perhaps be a top four defenseman. Yes. He plays third pair minutes. Carson Soucy has never played consistently top four minutes. Yeah. It's always been under 17. Like he hasn't played 19 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game. He's never played a top four role. Mm -hmm. Ian Cole last year played a top four role. He played in the top four, with five on five with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And he was really good defensively. So you know Ian Cole is a good defensive top four defenseman and will be for one more year at least, which he has a contract for. I don't think Hughes is going to be your matchup pair. Heronic is probably going to be that guy because of his defensive profile too and, and everything. So I like the idea of Cole and Heronic as your kind of go-to pair. Yeah. Put in any situation, they can handle it really well. And I think 
if anything, let's just say Susie is not adequate enough to be a top four defenseman. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need to be better than he can be to play with Hughes. Being a lefty on the right side causes some issues, but he's able to play it. But can you do what Luke Shen did? Yep. Just that's make sure to get at. the puck to Quinn Hughes. Can you be? Yeah. Can you do what Luke Shen did a little bit better? Yeah. Because you're a little bit younger, right? And you're you're a bit more fleet. You're mm-hmm. bigger. To he's six five. Uh, he moves the puck decently. Can you do that? I think that's what you're looking for. And if you can replicate that with Quinn, I think you can live with that, and that can be okay. You can get away with that for a couple of years, even. So. The, the the other thing that I would say about this, you know, Carson Soucy, um, you know, he's he's good at denying entries. I like the aggressive defensive style that yes. he plays with. Um, you know, the kind of guy as well that will box out at the top of the crease and wins a lot of battles down low as well. Yeah, because of his size and because of his ability in those areas, it's going to be an ask to see him do it a little bit more. But one thing, as much as Carson Soucy and Ian Cole both profile to help the Canucks defense, it is also fair to say that both will take a lot of penalties with the way that they play the game. And that's yeah. it, like the Canucks have had a pretty positive penalty differential the last couple of years. Now, it obviously hasn't helped because their penalty kill is so bad, but. Now, I wouldn't expect their penalty differential to be quite as positive next year as it has been the past two years. No, but being harder to play against means you probably take some more penalties. Yeah. That's what being harder to play against is all about. It's not to, that you're undisciplined, but you're making people pay, right? You're making it hard for them to get through space. And when you're initiating lots of contact and you're chipping a body, like Rick Tockett says, yeah. when you do those things, you are going to take some penalties every once in a while. And like I mentioned before, I think you live with that as long as the defensive value is greater than the penalty differential. And that's what the case has been for both of these players so far in their careers. To take some penalties, but the value they bring with their physicality or defensive play still outweighs any of the penalties they take. But you're right. Something to kind of keep an eye out on for how they play. And what I wonder about, too, is the deployment of their PK now. So before Tyler Myers was your go-to penalty killer, yeah. now it's probably going to be Heronic and Cole. Yeah. Or Heronic and Susie. That'll be your number one. And then now, if Myers is still here, he's on the second PK unit, which means you're reducing Myers' role on the PK significantly. Yeah. And do you get better usage and mileage and production, or let's say uh, output from him, if he's playing 18 minutes a game and on the PK, as opposed to playing 22 minutes a game and then being your number one PK guy? If Myers is playing more of a third pair role, like that's a role he can win in. Yeah, and, and I think what you want in the PK too is handedness. As much as five on five, I think you can get away with playing with Hughes and having a guy playing his offside. Mm-hmm. Because of, especially with the way Quinn can recover and Quinn can oftentimes play the right side so the guy ends up being on the left side anyways with how he moves around. So I think there is a way if you play with Hughes where the lefty ends up on his natural left side more often than mm-hmm. playing with Heronic, for instance, where or like playing on a different pair where you have to really be on the right side a lot. And what I, th- I think it does more than anything, too, it allows you now to have Heronic on the first pair as your righty, and then Myers as a righty on your second pair, and then you put Susie and Cole, who are really good at killing penalties, on their natural left side killing penalties. So that way you should be able to max out their abilities on the PK, and it gives you two pairs that can work. Now, if Myers is gone, yeah, that's when it becomes a bit more dicey about who else do you have out there. That's where Matt Urban, at least... yeah. I don't think you want him to be on your, you know, be your second PK guy. 
can somebody internally emerge? We saw some of the young guys sh- do it a little bit. Can one of Jolson, those guys do it? Jolson, Jolson showed a little bit. He of... showed a bit of it. Of it. Even Breezebois showed a bit of yeah. it. So that's where can you internally get somebody to compete with Myers? Mm-hmm. And if you can figure that out, then all of a sudden your PK has changed dramatically. You may have four go-to penalty kills on the back end as opposed to four new ones as opposed to three new ones. Uh, Susie had uh, 26 penalties taken last year, which would have put him 31st in the league. Ian Cole, 29 penalties taken last year, Mm -hmm. which uh, put him 14th in the league. Now, Luke Shen is among those as well. So uh, he was uh, 28 penalties taken. So, and we all had pretty positive thoughts on uh, Luke Shen and how he played with the Vancouver Canucks. You need some of that uh, sandpaper when you are, going into the dark arts of defending in your own end and making sure guys don't get the cleanest look at goal, don't get any sort of easy path uh, to the net. So that's, you know, a big positive here is both of these guys do profile as credible penalty killers. You're not going out there like Oliver Ekman Larson was so miscast as first over the boards type of penalty killer. Well, yeah, and and it goes back to the same thing again. Like, so yeah. they bought out OEL and they saved seven million on the cap this year. With yeah. that seven million, they signed two defensemen and a third line center. Now they spend a million extra, so eight million to get all three yeah. of those guys. But it's essentially the same number they paid OEL. So what's better, having OEL be on your third pair next season, and you're even taking him off the PK? Like, what's the point of paying a guy to be paying seven million to be on your third pair and can't even kill penalties for you? This makes them a better team. You get two players who can kill penalties yeah. plus a third line center for the cost of one guy that was on your roster. Yeah, you know th- that shows you how much a bad contract drags you down, mm-hmm. and that's the situation you had with with Oliver Ekman Larson. So now, just getting rid of him, it shows you how you can all of a sudden get guys that fit in a lot better. I would say still up front on the PK. It's going to be interesting because you got Bluger. Yeah. Can Niels Olman emerge a bit more? Can you still perv- can you still be in a position where you don't have to lean on JT? Yeah. Because right now, adding Bluger means JT plays less, but it doesn't mean that JT's off your PK. Can you get JT closer to 20 minutes a night? He almost has to be like used sparringly on the PK if that's the case. Because yeah. right now, I look at it and I'm like, oh, so Bluger's your first PK guy down, down the middle? Yeah. JT's probably your second guy. Yeah. So JT's still going to be featuring on the PK relatively heavily so far because he's still your, your Bluger helps you on the PK faceoffs, mm-hmm. but JT's still your best penalty killing faceoff man on the roster. Uh, JT uh, averaged twenty minutes and forty one seconds last season. Can you get that number under twenty simply by limiting his PK minutes? Yeah, but you still need somebody else to emerge. So I think it helps you with it with. Yep, Bluger, but they still need somebody else, like a guy like a Neil Zolman to take a step. Can he take a step? Can somebody else take the load off so JT doesn't have to play more in the PK? So, you know, last year, the PK, they used JT and, and Pedersen, Oman and Joshua. Um, Mikheyev, before he got hurt, he yeah. will play another, he will get back to playing a prominent role on the penalty kill. I'd imagine Bluger and Mikheyev will be your number one PK unit. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. And then your second PK unit. That's where, I mean, JT and Oman, mm-hmm. maybe, as your forwards. Uh, can Joshua take that spot away from JT, maybe? I, yeah. I have my doubts. Again, JT wins 46% of his face-offs on the PK, Bluger about 45 and they have nobody else that wins face-offs yeah. on the PK. And you'd still use Pedersen on the PK, but more situationally. It wouldn't have to be something that you do every single night. I think it's ideal to have 
Patterson out there, let's say there's 45 seconds left on a PK. Yeah. That's when you get want to get PD out there. Yeah. You know, get him out there. Maybe creates a turnover. Puts pressure on the other zone. Then the extra man comes back on. Next thing you know, now you have momentum going the other way. I think he's a guy that showed he can play the PK. But you want to probably get him out when there is well less than a minute out there. So mm-hmm. you don't put too much pressure on him. But also that's when he can affect the game a bit more as well. Elliot Friedman is going to join us as uh, signing season continues on Canuck Central. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio. It is a special signing season edition of the show. NHL signing season coverage on Sportsnet 650 is brought to you by Kintec Footwear and Orthotics. Kintec is Canada's favorite orthotic and footwear provider. Foot pain, Kintec can help. Find out more at Kintec.net. The Canucks with four signings here today on July 1st. Carson Soucy. Teddy Bluger, whom we hope is going to join us at 1230. Ian Cole and Matt Irwin are the other signings for the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, it's been a busy day for Patrick Alvine. He sort of... He alluded to this set where he, uh, you know, talked to IMAC uh, earlier in the week when he spoke with us after the draft. He also said, you know, I... I've got to be careful about how I spend my money, but uh, Teddy Bluger is uh, now speaking with the media. Let's hear from one of the newest Vancouver. Oh, okay. No, we don't have that uh, as uh, the sound isn't great. <laughs> we'll go uh, there in a second. When, when we, if we get it, great. If not, then, yeah. then, then just fine. But the Vancouver Canucks very active today. And you know what? One of the things too was, and I don't think the Canucks are done, done in terms of like, you know, this is the roster for next season. I still think, if they can make trades to move salary, they will. If they can make other deals, they will. What is obvious, though, is trades are barely happening yes. right now, right? But one thing Vancouver was prioritizing was trying to get their business done as much as possible as soon as possible. So now, if you have to start next season with your roster, this could be it. Like earlier, there was some suggestion of if you just do Cole and if you do uh, Susie, that. You don't have to sign a third line center, maybe, and then try to patch it over or something, get through it. I, I don't think that was credible. I don't think you could credibly head into next season without adding a third line center, even if you added two defensemen. No. There, there was no way, even like you had to do a bare minimum, a Bluger type, to give yourself a shot of like, okay, we're going to be able to go into next season and have something. But on day one, they're able to now pencil a roster together with six defensemen, yep, with t- thirteen forwards. With two goalies, with Spencer Martin even, and we'll see if they sign another backup here or something with for a cheap rate. And the roster looks like a roster that should be in the mid ninety point range. Yeah, it should be vi- fighting for a playoff spot. Uh, all right, let's hear from Teddy Bluger, one of the Canucks signings today. Sorry, Teddy, uh, driving because <laughs> this wasn't ideal circumstances. Um, so no I apologize. Hopefully, you can hear me. Um, yeah. Just the decision making process that led to this today. Uh, what they've communicated to you about uh, role and expectations and and what you expect coming in here in the fall to training camp. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think that was kind of the biggest thing is like the, the role and expectations and things re- really matched up with kind of what what we were looking for and, and um, a situation that we were kind of wanting to to hop into, right? It's, you know... Um, being at center, you know, playing, you know, having some defensive responsibility, but also an opportunity to grow in my uh, offensive game. And um, that 
that matched up the best. And obviously first time going through free agency and it's, it, it really is hectic and can be a little stressful, but um, I think ultimately Vancouver is by far the best match for us. And um, we feel extremely happy and, and fortunate and we're looking forward to um, getting going in, in the fall. Do you have a follow-up, Kevin? Yeah, sorry, Victoria. I just had to pull over here. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I guess, like, how, how much, Teddy, like, how, how much do you see your role? Um, how do you see it playing out? What have they talked to you about? And how much does penalty killing play uh, in terms of the opportunity and the importance of the fit here? Um, I mean, we haven't, we haven't specifically talked about penalty killing or, you know, any kind of special teams. Um, I mean, as far as some of the other stuff, like how do I see play playing out? I think that's, you know, it's difficult to ask. It's, um, I don't want to be predicting the future, but obviously, um, you know, there's some expectations of me. I, I have some expectations of myself. Um, and, you know, obviously coming off of not the best year, um, statistically and all that, that's, you know, looking to bounce back and come back better and, and, and improve my game. And, um, you know, the summer is a big part of that, but, um, I think also having the experiences that I had in Vegas and, you know, it turned out pretty, you know, really good winning the cup, but it, it wasn't always smooth sailing. There's some challenges and being in positions that I haven't been in before in my career and, and working through that and, and finding a way, I think ultimately that's going to make me a better player. And, um, that's something that I think I took, took a lot away from as far as like learning and um, being around some of the guys there and um, being part of that group. So um, I think the opportunity, you know, it's, it's a good opportunity. I think the team's heading in a great direction. There's a great, great group of players there and um, you know, new coaching staff and all that. And I think uh, in terms of where the team's heading, it's, it's, it's a great place to be. We're going to move next to Chris Faber, Canucks army. Welcome to Vancouver, first off, and I uh, guess I just want to get started. You mentioned the coaching staff there. What do you think about playing for a coach like Rick Tockett? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Um, I talked to him, you know, briefly today, and, um, you know, I talked to a couple guys that have played for him before, and, and you know, and they had great things to say. And um, I know, obviously, you know, from his role in Pittsburgh, he was an assistant, but I know guys loved him and um, couldn't say enough good things about him. So I think that's a great situation to be um, coming into, I think. So that, you know, I think it'll be good. I think, uh, you know, we're, we're excited about it and looking forward to, to getting there in the fall and, and getting going and um, starting the new season. I just got one more here. I have to ask you as a Latvian, what did you think of Archer Silas' performance? He's here in the Vancouver Canucks organization and he kind of uh, went on decent run for Latvia there at the world championships. Yeah. I mean, that was awesome. That was awesome to watch. I, um, you know, wake up every morning and catch up on the highlights and, um, I mean, it was, it was so fun to see, you know, the guys and especially at the tournament being at home, I think there's probably, um, a little extra excitement for, about it. And, um, you know, even just getting to the quarterfinals was a, was a success, but then when they moved on after that, it was, um, it was awesome to see. And obviously his performance was incredible and, uh, what around those guys, those guys had. And I think, you know, they deserved all the celebrations and all the, uh, craziness that happened after that. And it looked like a lot of fun. 
Awesome, thank you. A couple have joined us and um, just want to reiterate, if you have a question, please indicate so using the raise hand function. All right, we'll go to Ben Kuzma, Post Media. All right, really apologize for the technical difficulties here, guys. I think we're gonna wrap it up here. Teddy, thank you once again so much for your time and thank you all for joining us. We'll have Ian Cole join us at 12.45 p.m. There is uh, Teddy Bluger, a very uh, abbreviated uh, media avail with Teddy Bluger. Yeah, and uh, I, I know uh, I've seen some people wonder, like, uh, Teddy Bluger, he was born in Latvia. Does he speak good English? And yes. He, he grew up here. So yeah. it's like he's, he's, he's very fluent in the language. Uh, he's uh, quite clearly uh, speaking <laughs> fluent English. Yeah, sometimes the birthplace might be a bit misleading in yes. terms of, like, you know, what you expect from people. <laughs> it's... Uh, it, can always trick you a little bit looking at the uh, birthplace without having heard a player speak before. But yeah. Teddy Bluger is uh, he's a cup winner, but he didn't play, uh, I don't think, in any of the games of the cup final. Uh, played a big role in that uh, Western Conference final against Dallas for the Vegas Golden Knights. You know, he, he sort of mentioned it. It was a bit of a tougher year for him than what he had been used to. So he split the season between Pittsburgh and... Vegas. He's 45 games with Pittsburgh, had just 10 points there, and then added another six points over 18 games with the Vegas Golden Knights. But uh, as you were pointing out while we were listening in on Bluger there, Sat, a guy that did show a little bit more offense than what we saw this most recent season earlier in his career. So before this year, and this year was, you know, he, he struggled mightily in yeah. Pittsburgh. And there seemed to be something in the water in Pittsburgh, obviously, because they all struggled mightily this past season on that team, more or less. Goes to Vegas. His play improved. It did significantly improve. His production was actually a bit better, at least better than what it was uh, based on what happened in Pittsburgh. And he gave them a little depth. He helped them out. Like Bluger was a cup. He was, he was a cup winner for a reason. He helped out that team. He was part of their process throughout that cup run. But he's a guy that last season, 2021-2022, had 28 points in 65 games and 9 goals. The year prior, in 43 games, he had 22 points and 7 goals, which is essentially half a point per game in that season. And last year, 28 and 65, over 82 games, puts him at about 30-odd-some points and over 10 goals. Which, if you have a third-line center that gets zero power play time, gets matchup minutes plays on the PK and still gets you 30 points, that's good. Like To yeah. me, that's actually like, that's baseline good third-line center production. You get a guy that can play third-line center and get you 40-some points, I mean, you're laughing. That's yeah. like, you know, with no power play time, that's massive. That's huge if you get that, right? But if he can get back to being that, all of a sudden he can be, like he's shown at least for two full years almost. Even if you go back to 20, not 2019, 2020, had 22 points in 69 games, nine goals, puts him at 25 some points over 82, you know, 12 goals, 11 goals or so, which again is respectable. If he gets back to that, then not only is he a guy that can stop gap you, but he can actually be an answer. The question is, does he still have that ability in his game? And is this a place where he can find it again? Uh, we'll try and uh, link up and have uh, a more one-on-one interview with uh, 
Teddy Bluger coming up here later this hour. The Canucks just announcing general manager Patrick Alvin ma- announcing that the team has signed or agreed to terms with goalie Zach Sachenko on a one-year, two-way contract. A 25-year-old out of uh, Calgary who played uh, with Moosejaw in the dub and most recently spent this year with the Chicago Wolves playing 41 games in the AHL with a 895 save percentage, has seven games of NHL experience through the 21-22 season with the San Jose Sharks. Yeah, and we'll see if Vancouver does anything else on the goalie market, but a guy that played a few games last year doesn't have exactly impressive numbers, but one thing this organization has done a pretty good job of is identifying goalies that can give you at least something. Yeah. So uh, I wouldn't count him out necessarily, but there you go. Now they add a goalie to the program too. So they can pencil in not only... You know, Spencer Martin potentially as their backup here. Down mm-hmm. in the minors now, they can look at it and say, well, we got Sachenko and we got Silovs. Yeah. So now if you, if you go through their depth chart now, and this doesn't mean they're done, and that's why I say pencil in, like the, the entire rosters are being set now on the NHL side and also the AHL side. So we're getting pretty close to having a accurate depth chart about what this organization is going to look like. And if you have that kind of penned in or penciled in on July 1st in every spot, well, it makes the rest of your offseason a lot easier to manage. And you can kind of be open to see what else kind of comes available to you. And that's one thing Patrick Alvin has mentioned in one of his hopes for today is to not overextend, overspend, and still be flexible enough to maybe make a deal later in the summer as a trade market. You know, that sort of trade market that always seems to develop after the mm-hmm. flurry of signings that happen on July 1st, we'll see how that pans out. And, you know, if there is still something in the water for the Canucks to move off of some of their cap commitments that are currently on their roster. One of the things, too, when looking at these moves, how much has Vancouver's ceiling changed as a team and how much has their floor changed as a team? Well, I think their floor has gotten higher. Significantly, I'd say. Yeah. Because, you know, you have three credible players that help you defensively and also on the PK. Mm -hmm. It stems the bleeding significantly, I think, right? And I think the biggest issue of Vancouver last year, in addition to you need to get higher end talent, and that's something they obviously weren't able to, haven't been able to address so far, uh, you know, within the first few hours of free agency. And it might be a bigger, longer term thing to address anyways. But I think overall, though, they're a team now that if you don't get your teeth kicked in on the PK... You're not running around like it's a fire drill half the season on your five-on-five defensive play. How many points does that save you from losing compared to last season? It's hard to put a number on it, you know, but it's significant. It's significant. Sat, each of the last two seasons were sunk in the first two months, mainly because of the penalty kill. And bad defensive breakdown. So what happened was, we've heard the coach mention, and this is something we talked about so often about this team before, one thing breaks down, then two things would break down, and then three things would break down. Next thing you know, the puck was in the back of your net. And we'd laugh about this. We'd be like, it was infectious. It was like one guy (laughs) makes a mistake, and it's like, I got to make a mistake too. And it's like, and all of a sudden, next thing you knew, it was three or four guys making ridiculous decisions on the ice. And the next thing you know, it's a two-on-one or somebody's open back door or somebody's in alone. And it was just a complete disaster. It was mistake after mistake after mistake. It shouldn't happen as much now. Yeah. So if that doesn't happen as much, you take a bunch of goals out. So I think what what today signifies more than anything is we're not going to cost ourselves. Mm-hmm. If we don't make it, it's because we're not good enough. 
but we're not going to, you know, sink our season because we're just shooting ourselves in the foot, making ridiculous decisions and playing really poor hockey. We're not playing fundamental hockey. It's uh, it's something that has just absolutely crushed this team, uh, you know, and even though last year they scored a pretty good rate, they had the eighth most goals the eighth most goals, yes, in the league on the power play, right? That's That seems like a good number. They were at 57. They were still minus 12 compared to how many goals they gave up on the penalty kill. Yeah, and I would say they're not going to score as much as they did last season. I mean, they've also traded away a 39-goal scorer yeah. in Bull Horvat, right? And, I mean, I'm all for making the trade because you have to make a move somewhere, but they did move out a significant part of their goal scoring. Mm-hmm. They add a Bavillier who can maybe cover up half of that. So you get a little bit of, of it back, perhaps. Like if, let's say next season Horvat gets 32, can Bavillier get your 15, 16? Probably. None, so you, of, none of the moves they made today help their goals. No. Like, help their goal scoring. No, their goal scoring hasn't been impacted, right? Um, but you feel like you can maybe cover up the rest, but it's gone. It's going to go down a little bit. The question I have more than anything is on your power play, do you solve what your top five looks like? Because mm-hmm. we know they have four pillars on their PK, on their power play with Hughes, Pedersen, Miller, and Kuzmenko. Yeah. Who's playing that bumper spot? Is it Bavillier? Is it um, Garland? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it going to be Mikheyev? Is it Brock Besser? How do you make it work? Like, I wonder who the fifth guy is going to be. And that's going to be the key, I think, on the power play for them to get back to being a top five or six power play unit. If they can, even if they don't replace the goals from Bo or replace, you know, all the goals... Can you at least not lose ground on your power play? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the thing that they also have to figure out here. So um, that, that's one thing to keep an eye on with the Canucks. You know, I think last year they had 169 goals for at five on five. That would, uh, you know, it still didn't put them in the top half of the league. No. Um, so they were just shy of the top half at five on five, but they also gave up 192 against yes. at five on five which was seventh worst in the league. Yeah, and now system-wise and how you play, that should take some of it back. Yeah. Personal- and as much as you change how you play, you can only do so much with the personnel that you have. Now you add two guys in the power on, on defensively, that should, that should change it. As far as your ceiling goes, though, it is somewhat unchanged. Like I don't think the ceiling of this team has changed, but it's more about if you have a functional third line and a functional PK... Can the team be the best version of itself? Which yeah. means, can how much, how far can your stars take you? Now is the question. Before it was hard to say this. Like, well, how far can your stars take you when you you literally have the PK and the defense dragging you down? So if you at least have something that's not dragging you down and le- that lets you float, how far can you drag? Yeah, the rest of the team. And so I think it's unchanged because they haven't added anything to the ceiling. But now we finally get a true idea, perhaps, Dan. What is the ceiling of yep. JT Miller on this team? What is the ceiling of Pedersen playing at a high level? Kuzmenko, Hughes, and Hironik. Those These are your pillar guys. These are your foundational pieces. How far can these guys take you now? Now we get a better idea of what this organization has, has to work with. And are these guys even good enough? Because now it's not to say that, hey, you got to go and not only make the playoffs, but have success in the playoffs. But I think it gives you a better idea of if you don't have things dragging you down, where do these guys take you? Uh, Viking stat. I think it does help goal scoring when puck isn't in your own end as often. Better defense leads to more time 
on offense. Uh, that's one tweet coming in and the very few amount of tweets that I've been able to see come through today. Uh, also, Elliot Friedman with this note on the Miles Wood to Colorado signing. Are you ready to be blown away, Sat? Yes. Uh, even, Siri's excited. Even excited Siri too. Is, is, is blown away by this. Uh, Elliot Friedman, not sure of the number here, but it sounds like a six-year deal for Miles Wood. Six years? With the Colorado Avalanche. Six years? Yeah. Even Dan Riccio wouldn't do that. Yeah, the wood is good, but not that good. Well, maybe it is that good. <laughs> <laughs> for Joe Sackick and Chris McFarlane, maybe. I don't know, man. Uh, Miles I mean, Wood, six-year deal per uh, Elliot Friedman to the Colorado Okay, Avalanche. Feels like a Brandon Tanev type deal. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't PK, though. He, he could PK. maybe. I don't know. I don't. Hey, maybe he, he PK'd very little for the uh, for the New Jersey Devils. Yeah, I mean, he, he does a lot of things really, really well. He does. You he know, forechecks uh, well. He's got size and speed. Forechecks well. Good teammate. You know, will always battle for your guys. Draws a lot of penalties actually with the way that he plays. He's kind of like one of those middle six wingers that doesn't score a ton, but gives you something tangible in terms of being hard to play against and those types of things. Tends to always work on lines that uh, outshoot their opponents when he's on the ice. So there's some good things there with Miles Wood, but uh, not. I don't know about six years good. <laughs> so no. uh, that I, one is uh, that one's tough. I mean, what what, what if the number is like one point five or something? It's like, all right, yeah, um, <laughs> six years, two million per. Well, I guess we'll see what the final we'll number, the number is. is. I mean, the one thing is about Colorado, they haven't been too. They haven't missed a lot on their free agent signings. Yeah. And their trade additions, where they've really struggled is draft and development outside of the topics, which we've discussed at length on this show. But so we'll see what the number is. I'm not a fan. If there's one team that usually pulls off these things fairly well, it is Colorado. But yeah, me no like. <laughs> well, even uh, you know Jim Rutherford was the one who signed that Brandon Tanev deal with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And mm-hmm. obviously... They did not protect Tanev uh, in Pittsburgh, and he got selected by Seattle in the expansion draft. And he's been a good find for Seattle. You know, yeah. he's just a a really uh, functional hockey player, and yes. I think those are things that uh, should be appreciated and not always dunked on as much as they often are. Uh, sounds like uh, Nick Bugstad is returning to the Coyotes. On a two-year deal, that per Craig Morgan. So some that were wondering if Nick Bugstad would be a target for the Vancouver Canucks. He is headed to the Coyotes, who uh, also signed Troy from Richmond today. Mm -hmm. He's heading back to Arizona on a one-year deal. And they got Jason Zucker on a one-year deal as well. Just over $5 for Jason Zucker on a one-year deal. Um, So I don't think we mentioned the Michael Bunting deal. No, four point five million per year for three years to the Carolina Hurricanes. Yes, Carolina loves their analytics forwards, man. Mm-hmm. And, and and there are a lot of things to like about Michael Bunting: good forechecker, good speed. Uh, you know, he plays tough, but not a, really much of a PKer. Kind nope. of plays any power play, but is he much of an ace power play guy? Can score some goals, but not really a goal scorer. He's a complimentary piece. Like he can play with good players, as we saw yes. in, in Toronto, but. He's the third guy on a line. And you know what? Like They need to fill spots, so maybe it fits fine with yeah. them, right? And, and ultimately, but it's just, it's one of those more of the same Carolina mm-hmm. moves. And listen, they've had success yeah. doing a lot of these things, and you know maybe it works out for them. 
But I think still they need to find start prioritizing getting guys that can score goals more, and they're spending a lot of money on guys that are, you know, good on that sense. And we saw how their lack of, you know, final touch, so yes. to speak, has been lacking. Uh, Max Pacioretty uh, signed a two-year deal, or sorry, a one-year deal, two million dollars with uh, potential for two million in bonuses with the Washington Capitals earlier today. So we're going to continue to uh, discuss what the Canucks are doing, and also we are going to welcome in Teddy Bluger to the conversation. We hope to connect with him in the next few moments, and we'll hear from Patrick Alvine as well after 1 o'clock with the Vancouver Canucks. That's all still to come, Canucks Central. Canuck Central in the Kintec studio, a special signing season edition here on the program. Let's welcome in our next guest. He is one of the newest members of the Vancouver Canucks signing just today. It is Teddy Bluger joining us now on the show. Thanks for this, Teddy. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. How are you? Uh, we're doing well. We're doing well. Congrats on uh, on the deal here with uh, with Vancouver. How did this come together? Uh, yeah, thank you very much. I mean, uh, yeah, it's been it's been a little hectic. Uh, it's our first experience in free agency, so um, you know a lot of a lot of new experiences, I guess. But yeah, it's um, it just kind of we felt like it was the best match for you know what we kind of were looking for and and what the team wanted and the expectations and um, the direction the team's heading. We had, we just felt like it was it was a really good match for us and a place where we really wanted to be. So um, it just all kind of came together. And also obviously some familiar faces in terms of management. Uh, And I know Rick Tockett was with the organization where you played through the minors and were a prospect with the team, but uh, what was it kind of like connecting with Alvin? And did you have a chance to speak with Rutherford and did that kind of play a part into the familiarity to come here? Yeah, I think that does play a part. I think, uh, you know, knowing them, uh, you know, a little bit as people too, and, and having, you know, essentially worked for them. I think, you know, I kind of know how they operate and what the expectations are and, um, what they would expect of me, I think. And, um, I think, I think having that familiarity and having that relationship definitely makes the, makes the transition easier. And, you know, there's less unknowns and, um, not really question marks, but it's, it's kind of, I think easier to be comfortable and, and, um, hopefully make it an easier transition to fit in. Where do you see your fit on this roster? Um, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, have a, have a defensive role and, and, and play well, but I think it's also for me, um, especially after last year, kind of an opportunity, hopefully to bounce back offensively and improve my game offensively and improve my numbers and uh, contribute more on that end. And um, not, not just be a, a defensive guy, you know, I think at times, you know, in Pittsburgh or um, even in Vegas too, it's been a lot of, you know, defensive draws, defensive situations, um, whether it's line matchups or um, penalty kill. But I think, uh, you know, I, I see myself probably personally growing as a player and I, and I believe I have more offense in my game than I've shown um, in the past. I think there's been, you know, stretches um, where I've been able to show that, but not mm-hmm. consistently enough. So, uh, for me, that's kind of taking the next step and evolving offensively and improving and um, being a better finisher uh, around the net, creating more opportunities, things like that. So, um, 
kind of that that's kind of where where you know i see myself and where i'm working to get to well i think you know to what you just mentioned i think you've shown that you are capable of doing those things and you know like you said maybe not putting it together but i look from 2020 to 2022 those two years i mean kind of on pace to score anywhere from you know 12 to 13 goals close to 30 some points and you know if you're playing a third line center role and you're getting that type of production and you're, you're playing in every situation i mean i don't need to tell you how valuable that is to teams right yeah, yeah, and you know that's kind of um, kind of where I'm looking to get to more consistently, and um, you know obviously improve from there. But it's kind of one step at a time, and and getting there, and um, putting together you know a season where um, you know I'm just not just on pace for it, but actually you know kind of achieve that and 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 get to those marks, and um, and then kind of grow from there. You have a Stanley Cup experience. You're just coming off here uh, with, with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, how do you think that's? Uh, well, what was that experience like for you? And, and you know, what does it mean for your career and, and how you continue to to grow from that experience? Yeah, I mean, um, it was it was a lot of new stuff, a lot of new experiences, starting from you know going through a trade the first time, to joining a new team, and um, and kind of finding my footing there. And then obviously, you know, being part of the run. I think. Um, you know, I play a handful of games, but, you know, obviously not, not that many. Right. So in the yeah. playoffs, so, um, you know, you get a little bit of experience playing some big games, you know, in the conference finals and all that, but also I was a lot in the situation that I'd never been in before, you know, being scratched and, and being out for so long. And, um, you know, it wasn't always easy and, it, and it's kind of a testing experience. And, um, in that sense, cause obviously, you know, you, like you're dying to play especially mm-hmm. at a time time of year like that and um but i think you know if you're in, you're in a situation and you try to control what you can and be a good teammate and um you know still come to the rink every day and work and, and get better and um stay prepared so i think um you know it's an opportunity for me to grow almost as a person in that situation more mm-hmm. um i think it you know really tested my character and um you know, it's an opportunity to um, get better and, and learn from an experience like that. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I was still in the room uh, around the guys and um, played some of the games. So getting that experience as well and seeing kind of, um, you know, the journey that it takes to, to get there and win the cup and kind of the camaraderie that, that's created. And I think I was fortunate that I came into a great room. Like mm-hmm. the guys are super welcoming. Everyone's super tight in the Vegas room. I think, that was a big part of, of, of why we were able to win is I think kind of the off ice bonds and um, it's super, super loose in the locker room. And um, just, it was just hilarious characters, you know, like everyone had their role and mm-hmm. uh, you know, you had Phil, uh, you know, Jackie and just like nonstop banter back and forth. I think that was awesome to be a part of and um, experience that. Well, I mean, it's great to have that perspective, and it's a very detail-oriented group with a lot of detail-oriented players, obviously, and you yourself can really fit into that mold, and I know, I'm sure you're somewhat aware, I'm not sure how aware you are, but the Canucks PK last season was dreadful, like maybe the worst in the league, and something the team has been really trying to address, and you're somebody who's played a big role on PKs on a number of the teams that you've been on. What makes you effective, and how much pride do you take in playing that role effectively? Yeah, I mean, I think I think a lot of pride in that sense. I think um, that was kind of that was kind of a big part of my game that I had to kind of improve on. I think to get to get a chance to play in the NHL and, and I guess get a foot in my do- uh, get my foot in the door, so to speak. So 
um, you know, that's something I'd, I'd worked on a lot in the minors and, um, big emphasis there. And I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, good PKs, I think it's, it's not necessarily one individual player. It's all, you know, the, all the four guys and, and the goalie working as a, as a unit and being on the same page. And it's kind of a bit of everything, right? You need, um, you know, some courage to, to block shots and, and get in the way of things that, you know, are very unpleasant, but then you also need to be smart as far as, you know, your stick positioning, um, reading the play, um, kind of anticipating, um, you know, the opposition and also knowing, being on the same page with your teammates, knowing uh, where they're going to be and um, when they're going to pressure, when they're going to hold back. So it's it's kind of a combination of everything. And obviously that's been a, a big part of my game and um, what I've been able to bring to the table in my career so far. So, um, but, but it, again, that's one of those things that I think it's just like anything else, you, you know, you can always get better at different mm-hmm. things and uh, that's part of it. And we're, you know, get better and work at it and grow and continue to evolve. Uh, do you know or do you know any of the uh, many of the guys on the team that you're joining here? Uh, no, I, I don't. I know uh, Brock Besser a little bit just from uh, you know I, we spent part of our summers in Minnesota, so mm-hmm. just just having skated with him out there. Um, so don't know him super well, but a little bit. Um, I mean Ian Cole. I think the, his last year in Pittsburgh. I, I was called up for a little bit, but didn't play any games. So know him a little bit maybe, but no one um, that I know really well. Well, you're going to have to get to know uh, Vancouver pretty well somehow. Uh, what, what are you excited about moving to the mountains in the ocean? Um, I mean, it's always a great spot to come on the road. I know that everyone that's lived there is um, raved about the city. And, you know, my wife and I have already gotten a ton of texts from people that have either lived there, or, uh, spent some time there and how much they love the city. So, I'm excited for her to see it. Uh, you know, it's it's obviously beautiful just being on the water and, and having the nature just, you know, short short time away. And uh, we actually had a wedding in Langley last summer, and uh, we loved it out there too, you know, just, you know, all the trees and the scenery. And um, it's kind of a be- beautiful area of, uh, of the world. So just excited to kind of uh, get there and get to know the city and check out the different restaurants and, and feel the vibes of the different neighborhoods and um, get to know the people and see what everyone's about. Well, maybe uh, Tristan Jari or Shea Theodore, the couple of BC guys you played with uh, can, uh, can help you out figuring out uh, the, the lay of the land here in the city and some of your new teammates as well. Thanks so much for this, Teddy. Yeah, no problem. Thank you guys. Uh, there is uh, Teddy Bluger joining us here on Canucks Central and uh, Ian Cole is uh, slated to speak with the media soon. Hopefully we'll be able to tap into that. And uh, he is uh, going to join us at one o'clock as awesome. well, Ian Cole. But uh, just hearing from from Teddy Bluger there, and uh, thinks he's uh, got more offense in his game to show, while also still doing uh, many of the defensive games that uh, defensive things he's really nailed down. Yeah, and you know, as we mentioned, and we talked to him about the numbers yeah. too. I mean, the two prior years to this last season. He was, you know, like 28 points, nine goals, essentially 30 points in 65 games. You know, like he, you know, he didn't quite get as like Besser had 29 goals and get, you know, but still, I mean, when you're playing at that level, that means you're producing really well for third line role, playing 15 minutes a game, you're plus defensive impact and you're good on the PK and you're winning over 50% of your draws. Like that's a solid third line player, you know, solid third line center. And if he can regain that ability and do it for an entire, say, 75 
game season, if he can't do all 82, can he do over 70 games? If he could do 75, get to 30 points and 10 goals and help you PK, yeah. that's that's gold. That That's really gold, you know? And you know what happens probably is they can't keep him because it's a one-year deal, 1. 1.9. He's 29 next season. But I think it's well, fine. It's probably part of the thinking on his process. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's clearly looking for something that can maybe set him up for when the cap goes a little bit higher mm-hmm. next year. And if he's able to put together a good season, you know, do all the things he does defensively and get back to being a 30, 35 point guy offensively. I mean, you know, that's maybe a, a, a $3 million center when, when the cap goes up. Honestly, the best case scenario is he plays so well, the Canucks can't afford him next year. Yeah. You can't look at him as a long-term solution, you know, you, you're hoping, but I think that's the best case scenario. And what it does is it gets your team into the postseason, perhaps, right? Because mm-hmm. not only him, but, you know, everything else you're trying to do. And if you actually, let, let's say, win a round in the postseason even or something, if you can get that far, then it's all whatever. You, you're happy and you can walk off, go somewhere else. And now you have more cap space. Maybe you do different things. But I think that's the best case scenario for Teddy Bluger. And uh, I hope I hope it I hope it happens because uh, if he has a year like that, that means this team's going to be in a decent position. Uh, this uh, from Harmon Dial, who's a regular contributor on the show from earlier in the day, just a, a stat on Teddy Bluger mm-hmm. and his penalty kill prowess since the 2021 season. There are 235 NHL forwards who've logged at least 100 minutes on the penalty kill. Teddy Bluger ranks 27th best in terms of his goals against rate and second best among forwards who averaged at least two minutes per game on the penalty kill. Mm-hmm. So you know, that that just sort of highlights the biggest reason the Canucks have brought him in. Patrick Alvine in uh, two of his quick snippets in the press releases that uh, the Canucks released, and one in Teddy Bluger, and uh, it, you know, talking a lot about the penalty kill and how much these moves today, you know, are with an eye towards fixing the Canucks league worst penalty kill over the last two seasons. That, that's what it should be. You know, I mean, and I just can't stress enough how big of a difference having a better PK is. Yeah. It crushed them. Like even that, you know, the, I mean, it sunk. I mean, you go back to the year prior, the 25 games with Travis green where they had just eight wins. Yeah. They were giving up multiple penalty kill goals a game. They broke records again for multiple play, you know, pen, uh, yeah. power play goals given up. Uh, they were. How many nights did they not give up a five on five goal? I'd have to go back and look at my my notes on it. But there were nights where they didn't give up multiple nights where they didn't give up a five on five goal mm-hmm. and still lost. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> and it was happening often. You know, that's just something that can't really happen if you are going to be any sort of a never mind you know stanley cup contender because the canucks are not that and they're working towards getting there but if you're going to be a credible playoff contender you can't have that bad of a penalty kill now yes seattle did last year but they also scored 209 goals at five on five (laughs) to to sort of make up for it yeah and the canucks pk you know rebounded last year by the end of the season Right. Yep. Like it, it did better by the end of the year. And, you know, it was at a, at a better number and everything. But they gave up 69 goals mm-hmm. on the PK last year. So let's say that. And, and you know, there were teams that did more because Vancouver, to your point earlier, 
at least they didn't take tons of penalties. So their PK was bad, but their penalty rate was the lowest in the league. Yeah. So at least that offset how many times you were, you were shorthanded. So there's still four more teams, like four teams that gave up more goals. Arizona gave up 81. But let's say you, you trim that number 69 down and you get it down to, say, 45. That's yeah. 24 goal difference just to get into like the middle of the pack. Uh, all right. Uh, this latest uh, from Elliot Friedman, Alex Kalorn, four years, 6.25 in Anaheim. So a big deal for the 34-year-olds and uh, big money to the 34-year-old. Let's bring in our uh, next guest. It is Elliot Friedman. What's happening, Friedge? Busy day. Uh, I, I don't even know. What city am I on in? <laughs> I don't even know anymore. I'm just glad I can see your tweets. That's uh, that's that's what's making me most happy right now. And uh, you just tweeted out as well. Uh, Noel Achari to Pittsburgh, uh, three years at two million per. So it's been a it's been a big day for for a lot of depth guys. And clearly, like that's uh, that's been the focus here in Vancouver. What did you make of the the work Patrick Alvin was able to get done? Well, I think I think they basically got done what they wanted to get done. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted a, a depth center, and Bluger is uh, a depth center, and he's you know he's a pretty good one. I know that um, you know he didn't play all the time in the in the Stanley Cup final, but that was a pretty loaded team, and they went out to get him at the deadline for a reason. I know they were really excited to get him. And, uh, you know, I think any time a Stanley Cup champion or a team that thinks it's going to win the Stanley Cup or try to anyway goes out and gets you, um, there's a reason for that. And I think that's something Tockett really wanted, somebody who could play that kind of a role. And I know there was a lot of competition for him. I think, I think you know, I think the Oilers were in on him as well. So uh, I like Luger as a player, and I don't think that's a contract that's going to cost like, – I don't think any of those contracts they signed today with Cole or, or Susie or Bluger, you know, one of the, I worry about term more than I worry about mm-hmm. AAV to be perfectly honest. I think sometimes term gets you into more trouble than the money does. And I, I just, I don't think that any of those contracts that Vancouver signed today are, are going to hurt them. No. And I think those are good. Those are good players. You know, I, you know, I, I'm big on Bluger and Cole, especially for one year. And if they're right on Susie and they make that right bet, then I mean, it's only 3.25 if he actually can play in your top four. But what it also does, Freege, is it kept their powder dry, keeps them flexible now for whatever else may happen over the next year or so, and not giving up assets to move off money or giving up assets to address needs. But I don't think Vancouver is done if things become available to them. But the question just becomes, is the trade market going to develop at all? over the summer here? I, I think it will. I mean, like the, the trade market was hot. Like sat, we kind of get like um, an up and down, mm-hmm. right? Um, the trade market, um, you know, I, I think the trade market, it was hot right before the draft. There were some big deals and then it cooled down. There were a couple more deals, but it cooled down. And today we get the trade. And then yesterday, you know, we get a couple of surprise buyouts and some surprise non-QOs. And then today, um, we get the signings. And then we'll kind of see, like, we're still waiting for a couple of guys. Like, we're still waiting for Comfort. Mm-hmm. We're still waiting for Bertuzzi. We're still waiting for Dumoulin. Like, there's, you know, we're still waiting for Max Domi. Like, there's still a few guys out there. And so, once that goes away, then I think the trade market will kind of reset itself again. So I think that's kind of what we get here. I think you, 
you know, now today's free agency day, that takes precedence. We'll see where the re- – and now the free, I'm sure there's going to be some people who are going to bargain hunt. There's going to be some players who didn't get anything. There's going to be some players who need places to go. But I think the trade market will heat itself up again. Yeah, and I, I mean, uh, we've speculated on it for so long, but I, I would assume for Patrick Alvin, the, the priority is to still move off of uh, one of their big cap commitments, whether it's uh, maybe Connor Garland or potentially Tyler Myers, if the right deal were to come. Um, I, I possible, like I think San Jose, I think is trying to see. I think San Jose is really working hard at an Eric Carlson deal today. I don't know if it'll happen. It's mm-hmm. it's really complicated, but I think there's some other teams that have kind of looked into it. Um, if they trade him, you know, they went out and they signed Carl uh, Cal Burroughs. I thought it was a great deal for Burroughs. Yeah, like yeah. I, I was really happy for Burroughs. Like that's that's probably gonna be the best contract he ever gets. And I like to see guys like that who really scrapped and clawed and battled their way get a deal like that. Um, but if Carlson goes out. You know, they're going to need defensemen, right? Unless they get somebody or, or a couple guys in return. So we'll see what happens with San Jose's blue line. Um, you know, the Garland thing, again, he, like, there's just not a lot of money right now. Like, 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 I wonder if that deal becomes easier to do if the Canucks are still interested in a, in a year from now as opposed to now. Now, that doesn't mean that they're not going to try. That doesn't mean that they're not going to talk. But, you know, I like... I don't think they were putting a huge sweetener on it. Um, I think they preferred not to do that. So I wonder if, you know, next year the cap's supposed to go up to about 88. I just remember, I just wonder if that becomes easier to deal, deal to do that. Mm-hmm. No, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm in agreement with you on, on that one as well. You mentioned some big names still available. We heard that Vancouver was sniffing around JT Comfer. Uh, is there any sense of where he may land? I had heard Detroit. I had heard Nashville. Um, you know, Nashville went on that, but I heard that he, he was, he was option B behind someone else in Nashville. And, uh, I would assume that's Ryan O'Reilly because they signed O'Reilly today. Um, you know, Detroit, I also heard Columbus. Mm. That was another team I heard was talking to him. You know, Detroit had a ton of cap room. They did some things today, you know, Reimer and Lyon combined are about two and a half million. And Hole, I think, is about three and a half. They, they haven't done anything else, I don't think. So <clears throat> they have a ton of cap, a ton of it. Um, so they could do a lot of things there. We'll just see what Iserman likes. He's not crazy about term. That's the one thing. He's not crazy about it. Uh, you mentioned San Jose working on a potential Carlson deal. Uh, what's what's the latest with Debrink at in Ottawa? Um, that's a good question. I have to check this at the end of the day. I really want to go on vacation. Um, you know, <laughs> make I some trades thought, already so that Elliot can get out, get out of here. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I really thought that Detroit was going to be the team. Then I heard at the draft that it had kind of fallen apart. And then I, like, I don't know what's going on here. I, yeah. I, I like, I heard at one point that Anaheim, he wasn't likely to go there. And then today someone told me that maybe he might consider going there. So, I mean, it's this whole thing is up and down and up and down. And I, I think the Senators would like to get it done. I think they, I, I think at times they thought they were close to getting it done, but obviously nothing's done until it's done. And there's like, that's the tough thing about these things is it kind of, 
it's a roller coaster, right? Like some days you're like, yeah, I see the end. And then something happens. And you're like, oh, we, we dial, we dial it back. And then you have to ramp yourself up. Like it's, that's the really challenging thing about, about this, about this week and, the, and, and this day is that it's a roller coaster. And sometimes you think you're close and then you have to stop. Elliot, we, uh, we appreciate the time as always. Uh, thanks for this. Uh, vacation is soon to come for all of us. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> thanks, Elliot. Uh, there Take he is. Care, uh, there he is, Elliot Friedman, uh, the best in the business, uh, joining us here on, uh, on Canuck Central. So Canucks got uh, what they got done, what they wanted to mm-hmm. get done. And now uh, they'll see how the trade market develops from here. And that's uh, sort of the story with Vancouver and what they were able to do today. Yeah, no, it's taking care of addressing needs, right? Yeah. And I think you have, to, you have to address needs before you can, you have to have a solid foundation before you can build on it. And if you're trying to be a team that's going to compete next season, until you take care of your foundation, you have no, no chance, right? So now you're taking care of that. Now, at least the base in which you're trying to build and allow your stars to go out and have success with, they have something to stand on. You still got to do more to take that next step as a team, you know? And I think part of this year, as much as we have these discussions about you have JT under contract, you got to be all in, you got to take a step forward. But even if you were super aggressive right now, how much better are you getting next year? Next year has to be a step. Yeah, You have to make the playoffs. I can take it or leave it if you win a round or two, but like just make the playoffs the year afterwards, have playoff success. Yeah, But you have to get there first. Get there next year and build more on it the year afterwards. There's uh, was only so many players available, especially in free agency, that could actually raise your ceiling as a team. But the Canucks made sure today that they fixed some areas around the edges that definitely needed fixing. They didn't really overspend too much. You can only say maybe they had to do it on Carson Soucy. Otherwise, no such thing as a bad one-year deal. For guys like Teddy Bluger and Ian Cole. We'll hear from Ian Cole next. It is Canuck Central. Signing season on Canuck Central. It's brought to you by Kintech. And we're continuing... Our uh, interviews with some of the newest Vancouver Canucks and latest is uh, to join us is Ian Cole, who's uh, now on the line. Thanks for this, Ian. Congrats on uh, on the deal with Vancouver. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Uh, how do you how do you uh, how do you feel about this move and uh, how it fits for where you are in your career right now? Uh, I feel really good about it. Um, I think that you know Vancouver is is a great place. Uh, great city, very passionate fans, and I think the ability to be a part of a team that, you know, in my mind is is up and coming and has, you know, has a chance to to make some noise and, and win some playoff games uh, is uh, is why I wanted to come here, and uh, I think it should be a should be a great year. Well, I know in Vancouver the team has struggled the past couple of years, and in a Canadian market when a team does poorly, believe me, there's a lot of skepticism that happens. So, so for for fans that are wondering, what what makes you believe that this team can not only make the playoffs but be a team that uh, is to be reckoned with with once they get there? Yeah, um, well, I've been, I've been fortunate to be on a lot of good hockey teams and and, and play a lot of playoff games mm-hmm. and. Um, now, listen, I haven't gone through and broken down the tape of every single player on the team. Right. Um, it's just a general feeling that I have. Mm-hmm. 
but the general feeling that I have is there's a, a lot of potential here. I know there's been a bit of a, a backward slide from where they were, call it 10 years ago when I was, you know, more growing up and the Sedins were here and everything mm-hmm. and they were making finals left and right. But, um, you know, it's, uh, I think there's a, lot of, there's a lot of really good players here, a lot of young players, a lot of highly skilled players, you know, some great goaltending, some great players on D. And I think we have, uh, uh, if not a finished product, but but certainly all the the, the beginning note to a good recipe uh, on this on this team. So, um, you know, I, I have a lot of faith in, in Patrick and, and Jim Rutherford, and I think that uh, they're going to really be able to to put together some pieces that, that, that could make this team successful. Well, you're reunited here with uh, Rutherford and, and, and Alvin and even uh, Rick Tockett was an assistant on those Pittsburgh teams you were with that won Cups. Um, you know, how much did that relationship, that prior relationship, play a factor in your decision to come to Vancouver? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, being comfortable with the front office and the coaching staff is definitely something that, that is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talk is a heck of a coach, a heck of a head coach. Um, you know, I know, uh, I know footer a little bit as well. And uh, Sergey Gonchar was actually with us in Pittsburgh too. And, and he's on the staff as well. So I think there's a, in terms of quality, it's, it's I've been fortunate to, to play for some great coaches, but uh, these guys, these guys are awesome too. I mean, especially as a defenseman, I mean, <laughs> you got footer and Sergey Gonchar kind of, telling you telling you what they think mm-hmm. i mean that's the uh, invaluable experience and information right there so um i'm very excited to be a part of it and i, I think that uh they could really get this thing going in the right direction well and you know you, we oftentimes hear from talk and especially from anytime we hear from gonchar and foot it's always about the details and working hard in practice and and you you know setting standards within the group and, and how hard everybody works and, you know, asking around about, you know, you once you kind of linked to Vancouver in terms of those things, it, when what I've heard is like big on practice, big on setting standards, big on accountability. When it comes to having those traits, how important is it? And you've been on some good teams to have that type of standard and accountability set within a room. And how have you been able to operate within that th- throughout your career? Yeah. Um, so one thing I learned at, at, as a young NHL hockey player was, was, was consistency is key, right? You're never going to play mm-hmm. the absolute best you can play every single game, but can you put together that really solid, call it a, a B, B plus game every night? Like that's the worst you are. And then you go up from there and you're not going to have these A games down to D or F games and have these huge swings, these troughs. Right. And, um, you know, so I think consistency in your performance is key to being consistently good as a team and winning games and as a player as the season goes. As you know, very long season, tons of up and downs. How consistent can you be through that? And I think to your point, the precursor to that consistency is being consistent in practice and being consistent in your habits, off the ice, workouts, things like that. And I think when you are able to be consistent in multiple facets leading up to the games, then that consistency carries over into the games and you kind of just get into this rhythm where you're just flowing and you're winning hockey games. And I think, I truly believe that's how you become successful over time. Um, You know, a lot of teams can put together one great performance and then they, you know, stink for two games and then they put one good game and then they're bad for three games and they play two good games and that's not how you become a good team, a playoff team. I mean, you look at Boston, I mean, unparalleled consistency 
over the course of the season. And um, they were just doing the same thing. They stuck to the game plan no matter what. And they won, you know, a record amount of games. And that's, that's how you do it. You know, uh, I think uh, one of the roles uh, that uh, the, the front office has identified for you is to help the, the penalty kill that's really struggled over the last uh, couple of years. You know, uh, you've been known to be a good penalty killer through your career. What, um, you know, what makes a good penalty kill, not just as a team as, or not just as an individual, but, but as a team, you know, how do you raise the floor as a group on the PK? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it kind of runs parallel to that consistency in, in, in that uh, I was just talking about where, you know, it's you're, you're in a tough spot. You're playing against other teams, five best players, and you're down a guy. And so it's about, it's about reading. It's about uh, your execution. And it's about, um, you know, desperation. And I think that, you know, the, the way you have good reads is you constantly study it. You experience these things. You figure out how to work, how to do it. And then the execution is a consistency, a consistency thing. Can you execute those reads consistently? And then inevitably when something breaks down, which it, it will, you know, do you have the desperation to go out and, and block a shot or, you know, take a hit to get the puck out of the zone one time? Um, and, and that's kind of how I view the penalty kill. And it's kind of a, 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 the right concoction of all those three things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then again, doing those three things consistently because, you know, you can put together one great penalty kill. Yeah, that's awesome. But can you do it, you know, nine out of 10 times? And, and that's where, and that's where, uh, that's where the key is. Well, and obviously, uh, you know, you just joined Vancouver and you've had some discussions, but, uh, but there are a couple of really strong, uh, top four defensemen on this team and Quinn Hughes and Philip Peronic. Have you had any discussions at all in terms of, whom you might be playing with and, and what type of role you might have with the team? Or is that a bit, uh, is that us getting ahead of things? Yeah. I mean, I, I have not really had those discussions. So short answer, no, I have not. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but listen, wherever they, wherever they put me, I'm going to try to do my job and, and help this team win hockey games. And um, you know, whether that's, whether that's on the first pair, the third pair, or on the left side or the right side, uh, whoever my partner is, it shouldn't matter. You know, it's, it's one of those things that, I truly believe if you take care of yourself and you play your best game and you help the team in the ways that you can help the team, uh, that's what makes the team successful and that's what helps you in hockey games. So um, wherever they want to put me, whoever they want to put me with, uh, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and uh, final one for me here, and it's been great in- insight, Ian, and, and, but in terms of what's made you so effective in ter- defending five-on-five, five, what's your key been, and, and how much of that really just comes down to not only being able to read the play, but in terms of always being the right spot and, and winning a lot of battles and, and making sure your stick does a lot of the work as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, you know, I, I think in, in that sense, experience has, mm. has been very helpful for me. You know, I've finished what 13 years now and um you know i try to you know, i had a coach one of my d coaches and i had in st louis bradshaw in mm-hmm. philly right now he said you know you yep. need to have he said a rolodex which really kind of dates him to be honest with you <laughs> um but uh but, but he's like you need to have a database of information in your head of like what each player does on the opposing team what your player wants you to do on your team and then what has worked what does work what doesn't work um, in your experience for you as a player over your years, right? And he's like, the more, the more vast your database can be, um, the, the more experience you're going to have. So I've kind of taken that to heart. And I, and I really try to, 
um, assess what works, what doesn't work, what works for me. I mean, what works for me may not work for Quinn Hughes or certainly vice versa. I mean, he's going to do things that I'm, I'm going to attempt to do. Right. So, um, you know, I think, uh, I, I think for me, it's, it's, it's knowing what works, what doesn't work, how to stay within myself, but also take away time and space, close plays quick, get the puck back fast as quickly as we can and get it to our forwards, get it to our skill guys as quick as we can and get them going the other way. And, uh, it's, it's how do we accomplish that? How do I accomplish that as, as a defenseman? So, um, you know, that situation changes the, you know, every, what, millisecond on the ice. Um, but basically that's kind of the mindset and that's kind of what we're trying to do. Hey, Ian, uh, congrats again on the, uh, on the deal with Vancouver. We'll see you up here in, uh, in Victoria for training camp. Yep. Fantastic. Thanks so much guys. Really appreciate it. Uh, there is Ian Cole, one of the, uh, signings for the Canucks today, one year, $3 million deal. And, uh, we talked a lot during the draft about intelligence and smart hockey players, and uh, mm-hmm. you can tell through that conversation with Ian Cole, the Canucks have added some uh, IQ on the back end, hockey IQ on the back yeah, end. Yeah, and we spoke to Teddy Bluger as well, yeah. and both guys, very common theme. And um, and how, listen, just being well-spoken, a lot of people can be well-spoken. You know, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's more about the logic and explaining and understanding how to be successful in the roles they're playing, and especially how Ian broke down the PK, yeah, what what to do, and also talking about how to defend five on five, and then talking about the habit stuff. You see the logic and the explanation and the detail and how he puts it all together. There's a real innate understanding of how to have success playing the game at this level, and a real understanding of how the game flows. and And the reality of hockey, and this is something that you know I've heard Talkett mention a lot, and you hear good teams talk about it a lot too. Hockey. Even bad teams are going to have moments where they're going to be on top of you. Mm-hmm. They're going to put you on your heels. Like, and especially when you play good teams, even other good teams, you're going to have a lot of moments in a game when you play a solid team, even one below you a little bit. They're going to be all over you. They're going to, they're going to put you on your heels, and they're going to try to make you bend. That's when you can't fall apart. And that's what great teams do. They understand that you're not going to be able to fall apart and how much of that you can bend without fully breaking. And it's being able to stay within yourself oftentimes in how you play. And I think having players who understand that, but also know how to play and be successful, is exactly the time, a type of calming influence you want on a team that's been very chaotic defensively and on the PK. Uh, we'll have to see how well it works, but uh, early returns are fairly positive on what the Canucks have been able to do. We're going to hear from Patrick Alvin in a few moments as uh, he gets ready to speak to the media after the Canucks business concludes here during signing season and signing season, of course, brought to you by Kintech here on Sportsnet 650 Kintech footwear and orthotics. Kintech is Canada's favorite orthotic and footwear provider foot pain. Kintech can help find out more at Kintech.net. Uh, we kind of wondered what uh, Kyle Dubas might be up to as the new president with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, he is spending all of the money yes, as we get is. later into Woo! July 1st. <laughs> uh, first, it was a five-year deal for good BC boy uh, Tristan Jari. So Jari stays in Pittsburgh. He will mm-hmm. be their goaltender long-term, five years at uh, 5375 on the average annual value. All I can say is good, good man, good on all you guys getting paid. Collect, you know, collect all the money you can, secure the bag, and be happy. Uh, not done there. They signed Alex Nedeljkovic to a one-year deal, uh, one point five million, to be their backup. That's fine. And the big one, 
Pittsburgh announcing a six-year, $4.5 million per season, $27 million total for Adam Graves. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Graves. sorry, Ryan Graves. Ryan Graves. Adam Graves. Adam Graves. That would be a really expensive contract for Adam Graves. For a really old player, too. (laughs) Talk about overpaying a winger. Veteran presence. (laughs) I love Adam Graves, by the way. 50 goal score. I love that. Cup winner. He played hard, man. But, uh, yeah, anyways. Um, not Adam Graves. I'm no, going to make that Graves. mistake a ton. Yeah, Ryan Graves. But yeah, I mean that's a lot of money. That's a lot of term. For it is Ryan a lot Graves. of terms. It is for a, lot of term. a defensive defenseman, a six-year term, taking them into their mid-thirties. Uh, you know, it's it's a lot. But yeah, you know, it's one of the things that I quite like about the Canucks. You know, they did medium term with Carson Soucy, three-year deal, but they avoided the long-term deals that have gotten this organization into a lot of trouble in the past. Don't overpay the wrong guys. If you're overpay- if you're paying term, pay it for a difference maker. Yeah. But you shouldn't be giving, you know, third pair defensemen. Now, we can talk about Susie in a second here, but you shouldn't be giving third pair defensemen like true third pair defenseman term. You shouldn't be giving bottom six forwards yeah. term. You shouldn't be doing that. What you should be doing is looking for guys on good bets for mm-hmm. that. A veteran come in like Ian Cole one year three million. Do you find the a Teddy Bluger right one point nine million yeah. type of deal? Do you find the next shot Michael Bunting instead? I think that's what you should be looking at. Let's uh, hear from Patrick Alvin. The GM speaks on the moves the Canucks made today. Start off with your thoughts on the business you were able to get done today. Yeah, um, leading up to this day, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, uh, again, one thing that we. Uh, uh, prioritize was was our back and uh, getting a little bit bigger, heavier uh, PK guys and and in uh, Carson Susi and uh, Ian Cole, uh, their playoff experience and and Cole uh, cup winning pedigree there uh, played a really good strong year in Tampa last year so uh, we were happy um, we had uh, um, phone calls with them right away at nine o'clock um, Adam Foot and and talking to myself uh, so so that went really well um, and then we were looking for a, a, a center uh, um, again Teddy Bluger uh, a player that I'm familiar with uh, over the years and it was part of drafting him um, again a, a player that uh, uh, showed us uh, through the years that he's uh, a guy you can trust in the in the PK situations uh, uh, for him being part of a Stanley Cup winning team uh, <clears throat> in, in Vegas, I think he learned a lot. Um, also being a black ace when, when we in Pittsburgh uh, won, won a cup, Cups back then. So um, he was really excited about the opportunity and the familiarity with, uh, with the coaching staff. You mentioned the penalty kill, not just with Bluger, but with all of the signings today. How important was that for you guys to address that need and bring in some guys that can help you out there. Yeah, I think that's uh, something we talked about, uh, my, the coaching staff and myself here, to identify players that can help us in the bottom six. Um, talk likes a hybrid uh, versatility uh, players. I think we're very strong in our top six, top nine group, and in, in we haven't had an issue scoring goals. So definitely more of the, you know, helping out and taking care of our back end. Than that the problem with the PK came down to personnel? No, I, 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 I don't think that's only the conclusion. I think uh, I need to provide the coaching staff with personnel to 
help them uh, uh, play accordingly. And, and uh, by, by addressing this here, um, I, I feel strongly that this will give uh, the coaching staff more opportunities to, uh, to improve our PK. In the case of Cole and Bluger, guys you mentioned, you know from before, when you're assessing them now, how much does the past knowledge weigh in? Well, I think the past knowledge is more characteristics, personality, maybe so uh, off the ice. Uh, I'm, I'm relying on my scouting staff, what they see. Uh, and the pro scouts uh, did, did, again, a phenomenal work identifying the players and the profiles and the style we were looking for. And uh, Ian Cole had a, had a really strong year in Tampa and being part of that group there. Uh, played uh, averaging, uh, I believe, in in close to seven, nine games, averaging about 20 minutes. So he's capable of playing both sides, and I think that was uh, important for us as well. They both play up the line up a little bit. You look at Susie, who did well in more of a third-pair role, and based on what you're paying him, you might put him into your top four. You're confident these guys can do more if asked? Yeah, I think uh, Carson Susie would, uh, again, would, would gone sure in foot. I, I'm, I believe that he... He can uh, take his game to another level too. Uh, he's still young, um, or young, fairly young, uh, turning 29 here shortly. But his size, uh, his ability to skate, and I think he's uh, another guy that uh, two years ago scored 10 goals. Uh, uh, but definitely uh, a, a guy that we can use uh, in, in a top four role. But also depending on how uh, the coaches want to run the bench, different matchups, opportunity, depending on who you play against. Can you see either of those two potentially playing on the right side with Quinn? Uh, potentially, but I do think that uh, you know the co the coaches are are comfortable with uh, uh, Ronick Myers and and whoever is going to be on the right side there. Um, that that it could be a fit, and, and we all saw it last year. Uh, Adam Foot is not afraid to. Uh, to have different pairings uh, depending on how the game goes. You were able to keep uh, the term down with these contracts. Was that an important priority to sort of balance the need between wanting to improve the roster but also being mindful not to create contracts down the road that might um, you know, inhibit the team's ability to progress long term? Yeah, that was something that I talked to. I'm surprised there were a lot of players <laughs> that actually wanted to come here um, that had interest in, in what we're doing. and, and uh, the trust in the coaching staff. So that was something that we were looking at. And, and we also, I also respect the players, uh, you know, the, 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 the flat cap here. It, it's, it's tough for both parties. Uh, in this case, I, I think uh, uh, my vision with a guy like Teddy is that, that he's going to have a good year and, and hopefully be here for a long time. I think he's, uh, he's capable of being that, uh, you know, quiet leader, by, but showing with his uh, the way he works and the way he plays to be that he's going to be a part of this uh, this team for for many years to come. I know you wanted to maintain flexibility so that you would have options after July first. Do you feel you still have that? Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I don't have much cap space, but uh, uh, still have have some there. And and again, uh, I, I that's where I felt it was important for us to don't. Uh, you know, get into longer terms or, or you know, get get up in, in, in betting on some of the other uh, players that were available. And, and uh, but we felt uh, pretty good with uh, with the players that our, our scouting staff had identified uh, that we got this morning. And did the defense become the top priority? You said at the end of the regular season third line center, but you didn't know about OEL, you didn't know about Ethan Bear. Was it imperative to you that you had to do something? We felt that 
we needed a change there. We felt that we uh, uh, needed to get a little bit heavier and, and uh, uh, players that were willing to block shots be uh, good on the PK um, and, and size and reach in, in Carson. That was uh, really important for us as well. Patrick, Teddy Bluebeard's career high, I think, is 28 points. Do you think at this stage, like, is there more to give offensively there, or are you content with sort of the profile of what he brings? No, I think he's capable. I mean, he had a down year in, in goals last year. Um, but I, I believe that he's capable of, of scoring, you know, I don't know, 10 to 15 goals, or being around 15 goals. That, that's what I see him. He's a really dependable player, um, very detailed, high hockey IQ. Um, you know, his, his face-offs uh, on PK this year were 55%, so it was really, uh, really impressive. And what's allowed Ian Cole to just keep a level of consistency this deep into, into his career? I, I think that, the, obviously, his, his character, very, very professional, how he takes care of his body and how he understands the game, too. Uh, just a great team guy. Uh, again, a, a guy that has a playoff experience and... and uh, really good helping out of younger players uh, how to become a pro, what it takes and day to day. And I think getting a guy like that in with his age could show the younger players how you take care of your body and how you prepare for the next game. There's a report out that uh, you guys have a, a deal on the table for Tyler Myers. So it, have there been many discussions around him? Are you, still, are you looking at moving him or what do you expect? No. <laughs> If that was a deal out there on the table, I would. Uh, I, I, why wouldn't the deal been done if that was the case? Uh, uh, yeah, no. Uh, that that. Uh, hey, we talked about options to improving our team. But I, when I st was standing here in front of you guys last week, I made it pretty clear that Tyler was part of our uh, of our team moving forward. Where do things stand with with Ethan? Oh, Ethan Mary, yeah, very tough de uh, decision we had to make here. Um, really good conversations with, with Ethan Bear's agent uh, leading up to this point uh, uh, where we were thin on our back and uh, limited cap space. Uh, we felt that at this point uh, we couldn't uh, afford to qualify him. Uh, we will continue uh, uh, talking to, to Ethan and his, and his agent and, and uh, uh, make sure he, he uh, is in a good spot to do his rehab and and uh, we'll check back in uh, I don't know if he will be able to sign with someone else here but he has expressed his interest of, of staying in Vancouver how do you feel with where you are at the goaltending position right now particularly with the backup goaltender and how that may play out going into camp and into the year well I feel uh, uh, very strong and very excited about it uh, especially with uh, Seeloff's uh, performance at the world championship but also over the last two years in, in Abbotsford, how Seeloff's really uh, took a big step. And, and we also have Spencer Martin and uh, Tolapilo coming over from, from Europe as a free agent as well. So I believe there is going to be a, a definite competition uh, training camp. Patrick, with Carson last year, it felt like it was 15 to 17 minutes a lot, kind of in the time on ice range for him. Do you expect more than that this coming season in the role that he'll have? Well, uh, I think Seattle, uh, what do they have? Uh, probably eight NHL defensemen. So they, uh, they were stacked on the back end there. 
Uh, as I said, Carson's first year in Seattle, he had 10 goals. Uh, I, I definitely think he's capable of playing more, and, and he feels so too. He was excited uh, this morning talking to talk and, and Adam Foot. Uh, how they coach, how they, how they uh, built the uh, relationship with the players, uh, you know, the partnership between those two guys. And, and I think there is uh, a lot of uh, different uh, options for the coaches here with, uh, with Carson. Matt Irwin, local kid, how I guess yeah. local 35 year yeah. old, but yeah. uh, with him coming here, how I, easy was that? Again, he, he really expressed uh, to Ryan Johnson how much he wanted to come here to Vancouver and, and uh, what it meant for him. And, and he was waiting and waiting. And, and uh, again, for us, uh, with the young players we're going to have in Abbotsford, to have a, a, a potential leader in him that, that could help those young guys uh, grow as a pro. Uh, but also come up here and, and play games for us. I, I, I mean, he played over 50 games last year in the National Hockey League. I, I, I believe that he's capable of, of filling in if, if needed here. You're standing here in front of us. Uh, are you done for the day? Uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's still some, uh, some conversations. Uh, but I, you know, as you all see uh, with, my, <laughs> with my cat, I, I don't have much room left, but we'll see. There's still some, some uh, conversation with, with players and agents. And as I said, i not surprised, but uh, uh, made, made me really happy uh, that so many uh, players uh, expressed their interest to come to Vancouver. And, and most, most based on how Rick Tockett and Goncher and, and uh, Foote, uh, what I've done with the players uh, up to this point. So um, there that, that was some, some hard... Uh, uh, discussions and decisions this morning to turn down some 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 other players that expressed to, that they want to be here. Will you still be active on the trade market? Is there a trade market? Do you feel you're done? You know, like if you're looking at deals right now, given where you are cap wise, it's probably going to be tight to improve that way. But you're still looking for hockey trades that can improve this deal. I I, I definitely is open for hockey trades, and I think that's where we expressed that if there is uh, the ways that we can improve our team, we're we're definitely open for it. Gets a two-way deal, but where do you see him next year? Yeah, again, uh, the coaches were uh, very excited with uh, with a small sample size they had of Noah last year. They were very uh, excited, and and uh, they really wanted him in in the in our uh, on a roster. I think at this point, it's it's up to uh, Noah uh, to come into training camp and show us where where he belongs. Oh, go ahead. Over the last couple of seasons, uh, you. Clubs lost a lot of veteran leaders. How important was the off-ice locker room component, and what do you think Ian Carson and um, and Teddy can add from that perspective? Yeah, I, I think uh, you can see it two ways. I think it's time for those younger players that we mentioned last year. Uh, I mean, I was impressed with Quinn and, and Elias, how they took on more of a leadership role, and, and I expect them to grow even more here. Uh, what I, again, what I was looking for was more to, to help uh, this young group with uh, very little playoff experience to, to find players that, that have played games after Game 82, um, players that have been involved with the Stanley Cup and touching the, the Stanley Cup as well, and, and so have Cole and, and Bluger. Um, Carson Soucy has, has been playing uh, playoff hockey, hockey as well over his years in Minnesota and, and Seattle. So in that regards, uh, those guys will, will definitely help. In terms toughness of is hard to quantify toughness. Uh, Rick Tockett had talked uh, last year about being harder to play against. Do 
you think your team is tough enough or harder harder to play against now than, than it was? Um, I, I definitely think so. I think it's more about team toughness, uh, how you play the game. Um, again, with uh, Carson and, and uh, Cole on the back end, they're willing to block shots, they're willing to block block and box players out. And Teddy is just a very, very competitive player. He's, he's stiff on the puck and, and uh, blocking shots and, and very, uh, very, very consistent. So I, I believe we're harder to play against. In terms of development camp, is there any prospects that will not be making it uh, for this uh, next week here? Yeah, you know what? I've been busy with other things. <laughs> yeah, okay, <fair> <laughs> I, I think uh, my understanding is that everybody it was it was tough uh, getting out of Nashville, but uh, but I guess uh, everybody's coming in. I, I uh, last when I before I walked in here, I think we waited on one player, but uh, everyone else will be good to go. You're over the projected cap at this point, based on what it looks like, but I know you've got time to get cap compliant. You've also got the LTIR. You mentioned last time we spoke to you, Tanner Pearson uh, is still set to participate in training camp. Is that your expectation, that he'll be here for the start of camp? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and as I said, uh, and that was only a week ago, I think, uh, but the indication I uh, got from uh, from his agent and, and from more medical staff is that the hand is healed and and Tanner is uh, working really hard to uh, to be, uh, be in, in his best shape and, and uh, participate in training camp. Tucker Pullman. Uh, you know what, Tucker, uh, a little bit more uncertainty there. Um, I feel for Tucker and, and his focus right now is, is, you know, is not hockey, it's more about his, his health. Was there any interest in bringing Travis Dermott back? I know he obviously had a well, Travis was another guy that uh, played really well for us here and, and had a really tough year. Uh, a little bit the same there with, with his uh, qualifying offer being, being high and the uncertainty where he is. Uh, we definitely continue to talk and, and uh, we'll, we'll check back here and, and see where he is and uh, if there is an opportunity. Popular figures like Kyle Burroughs, I mean, you look at the contract he got, was that about the, the cap for you guys in the end, just the number you could go? I mean, you, you look at Luke Shen, I think there were some people who were sort of dreaming of him coming back, but obviously he got a big number in Nashville. Yeah, I mean, if you look at Kyle, he, I, he played five NHL games prior to coming to Vancouver on a two-way deal. Um, you know, having the opportunity to play in his hometown and played 90 NHL games over the last two years. Uh, we expressed uh, how much we respect and how much we wanted Kyle back uh, at the exit meetings. Uh, but for some reason, uh, you know, he, it's his choice uh, where he wants to play. He deserved it. He's a UFA, and, uh, and uh, he decided not to play uh, for Vancouver Canucks. But we were very uh, thankful for what he did for, in those 90 games. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Patrick Alvin joining us uh, while joining the media and speaking on the deals the Canucks got done here on free agency day. Yeah, and uh, they are done the quote-unquote big additions in free agency, but he mentioned they're still active and talking to people. And like we mentioned, I mean, you can always sign guys for you know under a million or so, mm -hmm. and it doesn't really impact your cap. They have to fight for spots anyways. You know, So if they're taking any, anybody's job, it's like, well, you're taking Studnika's job, and he's making yeah. the same money you're making type of deal, right? And I, I think that's the thing. And the hockey deals, which is something they've always talked about, it's just it's been so hard for Vancouver to find deals to clear cap space. What trade market? Yeah, as and, Patrick said, exactly. And you know, we spoke to Elliot, who said the trade market will develop. It always does at some point in time. 
Vancouver has had zero luck moving any of these guys for for money. Not that you don't need to do that anymore. The urgency to do that for free agency is kind of gone because you yeah. kind of you know it's kind of kind of it's, it's all not that it's done, but you know a lot of the guys are off the board at this point. Do we see that happen more seriously in a, in a couple of months or so? Do we? I still wonder if we're gonna have a day. I think it's like August 14, 11.34 p.m. It's like Canucks traded Carner Garland for Player X. <laughs> like, does that happen? <laughs> Uh, we'll see if it happens at some point later on in the summer. Uh, but one interesting uh, thing from Patrick Alvin, maybe a little bit more clarity on Tanner Pearson's situation. Um, he said Pearson's hand has healed and he will participate in training camp. So um, there is a chance that, uh, you know, the Canucks don't have, well, they'll have Pearson on the roster rather than, uh, in an LTIR spot. So we'll see once yeah. we get to training camp and how that develops. I, I'd still say, let's just see what happens. Yeah. You know, but uh, they have about 3.2 million in cap space, mm-hmm. which means they essentially have left Pearson's money yeah. unused. So they could activate him. Uh, so that is uh, where they're at right now in terms of cap space. And what else is to be done? Well, we'll find out over the next couple of days. We'll be back on Monday. We'll see if the Canucks get anything done. Until then, development camp does start tomorrow. We'll see a roster at some point and exactly what it looks like, how many of the Canucks prospects are going to be participating in development camp over the next few days. So a lot still to come on how that all looks. But the Canucks got better around the edges today. They fixed their penalty kill, they hope, and they got better with their third line center in Teddy Bluger and on defense, Carson Soucy and Ian Cole was uh, those were the three big additions for the Vancouver Canucks that they hope will get them better for next season until Monday for producers, Eddie and Josh, my co-host sat I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck central on signing season.